when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It's May 7th, and you're listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 395. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and today I am joined by Matthew Galt. Hello, sir. Gita Jackson. Hello. You got better at saying, what's good, Internet? <laughs> Thank you. I just just kind of leaned into it, got that lazy, lazy yeah. morning energy. Yeah, that's what I was feeling right there. It's, that, that works for you. Patrick Klopik. I'm keeping it together. I'm fine. I'm fine. Just, you just got to cope a little longer. After. <laughs> and by that, I mean the entire length of a podcast episode. We also, producing that podcast, Ricardo Contreras. Yo. Listeners cannot see this, but Patrick's got this look on his face right now. Like his mouth is a little upside down V, like a mischievous anime character. It's you very know, funny. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's great. Everyone's fine. fine. You're fine. Uh, not everyone. You know who's not fine? Who's not fine? Ethan Winters. <laughs> He's he is having a uh, national lampoons-esque European disaster of a vacation. Uh, because this week we are talking about Resident Evil 8. Village. Mm. <laughs> Viage? Viage. <laughs> it's a village. Uh, sure. Can't be you can't be too fancy with it. It's continental Europe. It's not, you know. Mm, continental Europe. Anyway, Wait. Uh, so we're talking about Resident Evil 8 uh, Village and Galt, you wrote a review of it for us this week and Patrick immediately distanced himself from it online <laughs> uh, saying, well, wow. look, I didn't write this wow. review. Um, I think I liked it more than this guy did. Um, that, that, I think that is true. Right? But Galt and I have had similar, we've, as we discussed the game, I think we've had similar but uh, uh, slightly diverging. Look, I, I'm... I I played too many of these games. I'm 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 moiled in the muck. I was made in the fires of Re- Resident Evil. I, I I can't necessarily be as objective about how I how I feel about them. It's been really interesting to read these reviews because a lot of them uh have been people that have been playing Resident Evil for a long time coming out and saying like, "Yeah, this is a good game." And I recognize that it's a good game, but it's not quite for me which is kind of what my takeaway was at the end of the game. And I and I was kind of shocked to see so many other reviewers kind of come down on that line. I think after 7, which was so full bore on this horror experience, almost claustrophobic, stuck in this mansion in Louisiana. Well, yeah, uh, that, that, that game has no, of, it doesn't cut the tension whatsoever. Like no. RE7, well, it's about halfway through the game, and then it turns into a, an action, a game in the way that um, like a lot of, a lot of Resident Evil games tend to, um, uh, but uh, that, that's a game like there, there are no moments of like, ah, it's just like you survive the encounter and then you turn around 
and there's a terrifying woman in a wheelchair staring at you from around the corner. And it's just like, well, great. I'm just back in this shit again. Um, uh, and whereas RE8 is a little more, uh, I don't know, a little more chill. Uh, I don't know if chill is necessarily the word, but relative to RE7 is definitely like a little more. It's okay with giving you specific moments that are like, hey, you can you could take a breath. Like, you're good. Like, you're going to have a couple moments before things things kick up again. Seven felt like an interactive horror film. And eight feels like a video game. And that's not a negative. Uh, it's kind of the 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 feel of them are very, very different. Um, so, yeah, what do you guys want to know about Resident Evil The Village? It's, it's all right. Well, it's an okay I, Resident I, Evil game. I would I would I would go I would go beyond that. I, I do think uh, it's it's fascinating. I think Resident Evil 8 is fascinating because um, you can feel so much of the I don't know what the actual design history of RE7 and how much like it being a VR game was like integral to its design, but there is so much about the uh, claustrophobic nature of RE7 that made the fact that it was also a VR game, like really link up. You know, I've made the case that the VR elements of RE7 weren't just additive where it's like, Oh, you get to look, you get to look around, you're surrounded by a space. And it was like a genuinely transformative. I think RE7 is a scary game. And then it's an overwhelmingly, it's an overwhelming experience in, in VR. You know, I like being scared and I had to take breaks from RE7 in, in VR. And they continue that design lineage into RE8 in which there are bigger spaces, right? You have, you know, RE8 has uh, a hub, right? That that spokes out. There are bigger spaces where you're wandering around. There is nothing similar to that in in RE7. They're like, maybe when you go outside of the house and you have a small backyard (laughs) that you get to like look around in, but otherwise RE7 is hallways, rooms, and it is constantly feels like the the walls are, if not closing in upon you, then the Baker family is just like <laughs> dismantling the walls to find you through them. Like literally, no, yeah, quite literally. Nothing. You never feel safe. You never feel uh, 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 at ease in RE Seven, and it doesn't even have a character like a Mister X. Um, or a Lady D. I say Lady D because every time I'm about to say her name, I realize that I'm just going to fumble it out. Do you, can you can you say her name, Galt? Do you actually know how to no. pronounce it? No, no I'm okay. terrible. My mouth can't do French. It's uh, terrible. All right. Um, but, you Demis- know. Demescu? Well, isn't I think, that, I, that sounds isn't right. Isn't that more like a Croatian name? Is. No, she's, it's, it's, it's French. She's explicitly okay. French. Demescu. Like I, I, yeah, I think I told you. Sorry. My mom um, is fluent in French, so I'm trying to like summon her in my mind <laughs> to help you. <laughs> they say it in the game, and then I'm like, "Oh, I'll remember it now." And then I, I got to this moment, uh, it was like, "Nope, I didn't." It's Dimi- Dimitrescu. Dimitrescu. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't do that. Uh, like that glottal noise very well. Mm-hmm. Like being it's too difficult. American. It's mom, hard. <laughs> part of it, like, when my mom is teaching us all French pronunciation in the car, my mom's very normal. <laughs> she. <laughs> She would go through all the vowels, and when you get to uh, it's just like, imagine the Queen of England uh, looking at a plate of doggy poop. Uh. <laughs> and that really unlocks a lot of the essence of Frenchness for me. <laughs> um, I think, though, for the purpose of this conversation, I think Lady D uh, works on two levels. Just say Dimitrescu uh, like Ethan did. Yeah. <laughs> totally wrong. Not stop even talking. Close. He says most of the words and it stops. And it's funny because actually, like talking about Lady D is actually like an interesting way into talking about the game as a whole. The way that Capcom stumbled into this, uh, you know, 
a genuine love that people have for for this character, like a meme that grew out of the marketing, you would rightly make the assumption after that that this character is the centerpiece of this game, will be <laughs> here from start to finish, uh, is a cornerstone. She, she should have been the centerpiece of the game, too. I mean, look, we're, we're, look I, video game companies send me bad boxes full of things. The thing that Capcom sent me, you can't see this in the webcam, but it's just... It's just mean, look grumpy looking. I got, I ate Bucky? some bad tacos. Yeah, that's <laughs> Chris, Chris, Chris Redfield. Redfield. Like, it's Chris Redfield, the Bucky of the uh, Resident Evil universe. Yeah, urgh, like my kids woke me up at four thirty, and they usually do it at five thirty. Is like what the the feeling that this doll has, and what you would think that when you open an RE eight uh, like collector set, you'd be like, damn, I want a like eleven foot vampire like character to be in my room at all times, <laughs> and they probably would. And this game would probably have that character be more uh, a central to to its story um, had that not just been sort of an accident that they stumbled into. And I, f- I feel like RE8 in general is a company or is, is a team in real time, like even working out what the form is that they're, that they're dealing with. It feels like um, a bunch of different little experiments. Um, right. So because the, the, kind of to Patrick – Patrick's point earlier. So the setup of the game is the titular village is like your hub area. Um, And then it's established very early on that you have these four different bosses that are kind of controlling the village that you're in. Lady D is one of these bosses and there's a fifth main boss that's kind of on top of them running them. So the first section of the game, it's just a couple hours, is Lady D's castle. And that feels like a very traditional Resident Evil game kind of set in a European castle. Right, Patrick. You got some keys. You got some eyeballs that are going in doors. You're grabbing you got, statues, putting them, putting them in the mm-hmm. proper place. Any suits you know, of armor coming into play at some point? N- there are suits of armor. You will find them aesthetically with uh, throughout the castle, but uh, but there's no Beauty and the Beast. Like you just get your ass kicked. No, no, no nothing no. like that. Um, and, and yeah, and, and that has like a very uh, you know, it's it's trying to evoke the. The police station of RE2 and the the mansion of RE1. It is a it is a contained space. It feels very much like the Baker household of RE RE7. Um, the, of course, the problem being that uh, chase characters are extremely difficult to do in horror games. And so, what I mean by a chase character is 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 a character that stalks the player um, through either scripted moments in which, like, ah, like I need to run around this corner and get through the door, get to the next location. Or um, in like a Resident Evil 2, you have a Mr. X. Or in Resident Evil 3, you have a Nemesis. In which like, oh, these are characters that have some enemies that have some measure of agency in the world. And that as you're going about your business, which may be more or less uh, fairly low stakes, like I need to get from this room on this side of the mansion to this room on that side of the mansion because I found this key. And there's not much in between me and that except a bunch of doors I've already been through. But there is a character out there or in this case, a set of characters that I can interact with. Um, and I, this is where like, I think RE8 has like a real early stumbling block and then gets stronger as it gets to this hub area. But the first four hours have you doing a lot of exploring this castle in which you're dealing with basically like RNG and like really boring AI. So like la- there, are, there are the three witches, right? The the daughters of Lady D. And then there is the, there's Lady D herself. And the the witches... You can't do anything about them. You can't attack them until you get into like very particular like boss encounters. You can't shoot them. You just have to avoid them. And um, they don't they don't like 
with Mr. X, you could, if you wanted to, you could stun him. You could put enough headshots into that character to like put him down. Um, and he was reactive in a way that let you knew, let you know, like, oh, this is going to work. I can, I can pump some bullets into him some, to buy myself some time. With Lady D and her daughters, it's just, it looks like um, Terminator 2 when they're firing into the, you know, the cop. And it's just nothing. You get nothing out but of it. But it doesn't communicate. The, no. Like, yeah. Well, and, it doesn't, and also, yeah, it doesn't, it's not reactive in any way. So you just and kind Ari, of. And RE2, I also distinctly remember, correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, maybe now I'm just like, like, like lionizing that aspect of RE2 that was probably like my favorite element. But I, oh, like the way they did the sound design specifically in, in the RE2, the remake, I felt like I could very specifically tell when I've entered a room, I had spatial awareness of where Mr. X was. Not specifically, right? Like, because, so I could still be surprised. But like, you could be in one part of the police station and I feel like, oh, he's, He's pretty far. Like, I think I'm good here. Like, I, I, I don't have to worry about him immediately coming around the corner. But I, I definitely feel this pressure on, like, prickly on the back of my neck. Where, like, he's not that far, but I can go about my business in this room and not worry about it. Whereas the way that these characters are handled in in Village is, so the, no one will... If you haven't engaged them, they will not find you, right? So if you're in a room in a space and and one of the the, the daughters hasn't been spawned or you haven't seen Lady D and she she has uh, like been spawned into your area, you're good. You can you can handle yourself. But specifically, what happens is the the game knows like it's like structured the level the design of this uh, mansion as such. Like when you enter like a kind of like the open area. Like, that's when something is going to happen. Like, you'll... Oh, she, Lady D is almost... There's a save area in the mansion. You open the door from the save area. She is always going to be there. Like, she is always right around the corner. And yes, you could, like, run up to her and, like, run around run around her. Like, you, you can do that. Um, she does do, like, you know, the Terminator stalk. But you know what's a lot easier? It's just opening the save door, realizing that she will... The one room... In the mansion, she will never ever go into. No one will ever follow you into. Is that save room? And so you can creep open the door. She will walk right up and look at you, and then go in another door. And yeah. that's what you do every time. Is like you're constantly going to the save room because the game doesn't have checkpoints. You're always having to to save uh, to, to your progress. So you're com- constantly like, whenever I can sneak over to the save room, I'm gonna do that, and then I'm gonna stand in front of this save room right in this really particular spot to Lady D goes to, oh, it's always the door directly to your right, like that she she walks in front of you, she looks around, and she goes to the door to the right, and then you can sprint across the central area. And at that point, you're just hoping you don't trigger the RNG for, like, the daughters. Um, and if you do, then, like, load your save again, and or just go back in the door and just, like, get the game to, to cycle it. And so... I think it's a really rough opening. And I, I think we, we both agreed on that golf that like yeah, there's a lot of promise the, and like the vibe of it is awesome. And I love all the characters and the design and I, I really enjoyed the going for, but the act of doing that opening couple of hours, like has some real highs and, and lows. Yeah. The, the first time that she spawns, you, you know, you're running from her and it's very frightening, but then you realize that if you stand in particular places, you can turn around and look at her and she's just going to stand there. Or she's going to wander off and not going to pursue you. And that takes so much out of it. Um, really just kind of kills that tension of those moments. But the, script, the scripted sequence Because she's such a great villain. The scripted sequence is like they – I, mean, I don't want to spoil like exactly how things play. But there is an instance where like the first time she truly stalks you and you have to get away from her is in this really confined space. You have 
you're you're in this kind of like dungeon area. You have like maybe six tiny rooms to work with. That it's it's dark. Um, you have no way of 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 countering her. She just slowly stalks you, and you have to like find a key, then put that key in a hole, and you have to wait. You know, Kyle, this is what you and I talked about when we played yeah, the, demo. the demo. Is like is waiting for the key to go through, and then the latch to open, and then. Uh, oh, also, there's like uh, uh, like a switch you have to pull that is slowly going to open a gate. <laughs> that gate doesn't open immediately. Like it takes like a feels like a full minute, and you can sit there and hope she doesn't catch you, or you can like run around. And like that part is fantastic because what it's doing is it's a confined location. It is a scripted, contained event that has a bit of like the AI. Like there isn't, you know, it's all the actions of Lady D aren't completely scripted, but it's like it's within this contained. Like they can control the possibility space. And the moment that expands into like the mansion, there's just not enough for the the enemy to do to make it dynamic or interesting. It's mostly just a frustrating yeah. obstacle for you to to grapple with. They're just so at odds to any of the story sequences, which just are tremendous. Like she commands the camera to such a degree that I you just want I, I would just sit and like watch the like the performance is great. Like it's so much fun and it's so scary and weird and her, like that character specifically is what something i miss about the vr that character's scale in vr would be fucking terrifying <laughs> um and you lose a little bit of that when you're you know playing on a on a on a, on a flat screen how far have you gotten patrick uh, since last time I, we talked there is a uh i i went to go visit the the tiny villain um's area which is like when you get to this hub area and then you can kind of it's not like an open world but you're like you get some uh uh options on what you can do there's a lot of exploring and like uh, you can do and i'm off to a new area and i'm in a sequence um that i don't want to say the specifics of but uh you know, this is a much more action-oriented RE. It is, like, definitely evoking a lot of uh, Resident Evil 4 um, it, while also trying to uh, take the sort of perspective shift of RE 7 and, like, see what they come up with. Um, I'm in a sequence where they've taken away my guns. Um, okay. And mm. it's, it's, it's fucking awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, real, this is the, the real second little PT sequence vibes. here. Yeah, very um, much. Very much like an homage to PT. Um, and, it, and it's great. Um, and, and it's scary. Um, it has probably the, the most unsettling enemy that I have encountered in the game so far. I described it to Robin Austin. I don't want to say what it is, like in a in a message last night. And like, did what you, happens? Did you hide under yeah. that bed, Patrick? I did. Have you have you have you died to that thing? No, no. Oh, oh no. You you need this. to go whenever there are clips. Um, yeah. You. I don't even want to describe it because I want people to discover for themselves. It is. Oh. No. Oh, the mm. second I saw that thing, I was like, "No, no, getting getting um, away, <laughs> turning and, and around." So, so, and so, so part of what what I'm, what I'm getting at here, and even bringing it up, is uh, I think, you know, this game isn't as scary as RE7. I understand why they went in this direction. I think RE7 limited the scope of who could even play it because not only of its like reputation, but its earned reputation. Like I think that game is too much for. A lot of people. I, I've talked to people who like scary games, like Resident Evil games, played about an hour of RE7 and said, nah, like, not this one. And and I get that. Um, I find it personally disappointing because that is like, th that's the roller coaster high that I am chasing. Like, every time my wife and I turn on a horror film is like, all right, you've scared me this way. How do I feel that way again? And RE7 was like this rare instance in which, like, a game really got under my, under my skin. And 
RE8 still has those moments. Like, it is more action-oriented. I think that is where it is, honestly, at its weakest. I think that it, the gunplay is not that great. It's better than RE7, but it is it is clearly not a strength. They are, this team is struggling to figure out how to do action in first person. Um, and the gunplay is not terrible, but I also wouldn't call it good. It's serviceable enough for the sequences that uh, are required. The difference is here, there are just a lot more of those sequences. And I think it has an all-time poor opening. Using the clumsy pistol to fight a werewolf, which is like the first combat sequence you have, left such a poor taste in my mouth that I like I worried that I wasn't going to like anything about what they were doing in, in Village. And it, it smooths out and, and it gets into a better place as, as it goes along. Is that... Um, but, it, but it is the case that the gunplay is sort of, uh, eh, like, it's I was, fine. But I was trying to, to... Sorry, Kata. No, I was just gonna ask. I played the the gameplay demo, which I think is the has that moment you're uh, talking. Is that the one where yeah, the you werewolves can find the shotgun in the shed? I th- I didn't play that uh, demo, um, but yeah, it's like it's roughly it's roughly that area. Yeah, um, um, like the way the way it plays out, at least in the in the main game, is like you're out in front of a house and you have a pistol and the, the wolf is doing yeah, it's yeah. like it's strafe dance. It's like, ah, this is, it's resident evil seven and eight. The way these enemies work is they just like, they do uh, like the, the dance monk, of like, the and throat. Yeah. <laughs> well, all the enemies, like they're, they, you know, they, the, the, like part of the, the RE team has done in RE2, RE7 and RE8 is all the enemies have some sort of dance move to like throw you off. Cause mm. the, the, you know, the bit of these games is we'll shoot them in the head. So they always have to have some sort of groovy tune going on <laughs> internally to like, to get their body moving. Uh, so they can, uh, have that head, uh, move around. I, I found like one of the other one of the other enemy types that you ha- you uh, fight in RE8, like these kind of lumbering, um, like de- decrepit humans that carry giant swords. And there is actually is like a really neat enemy design because like it's the sword that throws off their like their their like kind of unnatural body movement. So they're trying to lift these giant objects, which makes it difficult for you to hit them in the head, but also kind of creates a natural sort of like weird like off kilter rhythm for like trying to shoot them. Whereas with the werewolf, I just feel like I'm in like the thriller music video. I'm like, like, do 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 do. And like the, the werewolf has to shift to, to the left and the right. With a garbage um, gun. Make, yeah, yeah. Yeah. To, to make, and, and it's, it's, and it's fine. Um, but it's, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's it, fine. Is how I feel about the gunplay. Oh yeah. I was, I was just trying to ask like that. There's this like tension here where like, if you, I feel like if you get too, I played, four on a Wii with motion mm-hmm. controls, which meant the accuracy is actually almost better. It's better than like using six on a controller. Probably uh, too good. Yeah. Like the game is yes. not designed for you to be that accurate. Exactly. <laughs> and so like, I was kind of wondering about how you're saying that the pistol is bad. And is that mostly the, this, that they've overtuned it to be hard to hit maybe a too much or is it that that gun just like doesn't do nearly enough damage and therefore it takes too long even if when you're hitting hits you know like where's the like issue i think it's overtuned because uh, I, I guess i've been i've been thinking about this a lot i actually went back and played some re4 because i was as i was like ex- in my review as i was describing why the combat felt disappointing at eight i was like but this just sounds like a resident evil game right Right, the enemy like you're gonna kind of play it yourself. Um, the enemies aren't gonna super respond to uh, to getting shot. Sometimes you're gonna get a headshot. You know that will give a big like uh, response. Um, and I think it comes down to 
like Patrick was saying, the enemies are faster. There's more of them. Um, and they, they dance. They really mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you're going to, you get you get trained on that headshot and that lichen gives you a head dodge. <laughs> Um, and then it like rushes you and bites you in the face. Yeah. And you never, and like for a game that's that's going, yeah, yeah. Classic, classic werewolf, uh, technique. So so what we end up doing is like, I I don't know where you settled Galt on like your, your, your play style, but mine was always, um, I would, uh, really try to conserve my shotgun bullets. And so I'd get up close, like shoot him with the shotgun, pull out the knife, which is fairly powerful and just, which is a, a classic RE yeah. technique you do with the with the zombies, where you would get the zombies on the ground, want to save your pistol and shotgun ammo, and you would you know tank control your way up to the zombie, like zoop 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 back up, and then like shoot him in the head with like one pistol shot, and like that still totally works here, like and is like a very uh, legitimate technique, and like that that's how I've, but also like being so meticulous in that way is also how I end up breaking these games because they're they're trying to be so specific with your ammo count. And like keep you like on your toes, but it's like no, 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 no. If I'm patient and I just knife all these motherfuckers, <laughs> I can have 150 pistol bullets and not worry about it. I have heard from there's been sort of a consensus from folks who have like played a lot of these games that if you uh, have played these before, you're looking for a, like a challenge, like you should really bump the difficulty up from yeah. normal to whatever the hard is, and because they, it, I guess it makes the AI more aggressive and more interesting. Um, they remove bullets from the world. Um, and I guess it just makes, it, it bumps up the survival part. I've had just, you know, I, I've had a fine time on normal, even mm. though I'm not dying, but also I'm, I often play these games less for the survival aspect, more for the atmosphere and weird weirdness. And like it, it has delivered on that part. It's a, so it's a really, to the weirdness, a really... Though, there's something I've been wanting to get to, um, for a little bit here, which is that Galt mentioned there's a third act sort of tonal shift and everyone's like you know resident evil uh village is like really it's more like resident evil 4 but galt when we were working on the edit was like well it might be resident evil 6 by the end yeah which was alarming um and i've seen some people like i've seen a lot of the general reaction we've already described but i've seen a couple people be like wow it gets kind of weird and schlocky toward the end in ways that are not necessarily what you're looking for. I want to re- read this tweet from uh, Julie Muncy, who, is, who has written for, for us in the past, uh, wrote a fantastic Kingdom Hearts uh, 3 review from a couple of years back. Losing steam on the second half is a classic Resident Evil tradition. The quintessential Ari formula is to spend the first half of the game exploring an evocative novel setting, and in the second half going underground and doing Ari bullshit until you find a rocket launcher. Um, which is, <laughs> this 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 tweet has 3,000 likes and 500 retweets for, for a reason, which is like, that is, I feel like this happens every time a Resident Evil comes out, is like, damn, great first half. What's up with that second half, though? Um, and like that it's is like no one that, no one talks about the sh- the ship segment of Resident Evil Seven, right? No one likes that part. No, of the game. no one like. Oh, what a t- I dislike the entire second half of RE Seven, and still think it's probably one of my favorite games of all time because I just I don't even hold it against it. I'm just like, yeah, this is just how you build these games. Like it's it's the really novel, interesting first half. And I yeah, think but Patrick, re- Galt's played the end, so I'm curious what I've heard. This Galt- I've heard this is I've heard this is pretty like <laughs> okay. specifically bad. So I, I clear as knowing that, where does this rank in RE 
Resident Evil going for the rocket launcher, need to fight a tyrant equivalent, have to increase the spectacle and lose all of the charm and novelty of the weird setting of the, the lineage of the franchise. You are about to uh, jump off a huge cliff. Oh, great. Like, as soon as you're done with the that boss section that you're on now, uh-huh. like, the next two are pretty terrible. Um, the, ne- the third one is one long action set piece. That uh, sounds right. Yeah, and it's just... It feels like it was ripped from a different game. Um, it, it's very tonally different. Uh, you'll you'll see. It sucks. And then what game? <laughs> what kind of game? You know what's weird? Like the thing that immediately popped into my brain was like Mirror's Edge, but with guns. You'll mm. see. It's weird. It's real weird. Mm. Um. So and then <laughs> after that, uh. You go to the German part of the continental uh, uh, village to fight Heisenberg, and it's all set in a factory, and it gets very, like, uh, like machine, like bio-machine stuff. One of the bosses that I mentioned in my review is a guy that's got a propeller for the upper half of his body that's chasing you around. So it's the same kind of chase that you were doing with the super creepy thing in the second part, but now this guy's got a propeller attached to it. It's very, it's, it, the whole thing devolves. And then the very, very end, the very last act, it goes full call of duty, but with werewolves. Um, and I think like Gene Park and his, the, his Washington post piece explicitly compared it to call of duty, modern warfare, uh, in its mm. final moments. Um, oh. And it, yeah, it, it, the Resident Evil games always do this, right? Just like you said, but they're, they manage the creep better in other games. Like by the end of seven, I was so happy with everything that had come before it that, you know, I was this badass moving through the ship, mowing down all these mushroom monsters and it felt okay. It was re it was a reasonable Resident Evil ending. This really feels like it goes for the five and six territory at the very end of it. And and you'll see when you get there, but it's, it's, uh, it was like, they didn't know how to write and they didn't know what kind of ending to write for it. So they just decided to blow everything up. Well, yeah, that's because the, the, the story of like, is the, the story of RE8 is like, even by Resident Evil standards, like just bullshit nonsense. <laughs> like I, from, from, from the go, uh, I don't want to, I don't know what's been in the marketing, so I don't want to spoil specific like plot beats, but you know, you, you are picking up beloved, uh, Ethan Winters, the main character from RE7, a character who in all the marketing for even RE8, Capcom like wouldn't show his, his face leading to theories that maybe you weren't playing as Ethan Winters, but all the characters in the trailer kept saying Ethan Winters. (laughs) Um, (laughs) like for all of RE7's greatness, um, it didn't establish like a, like a new, Jill Valentine, Chris yeah. Redfield. It didn't like uh, you know create a care. It felt like, and that was fine. Like it's it was it was totally appropriate for the setting and what they were going for to be playing just sort of some anonymous dude that was trying to save, uh, you know, his family. And like you turn into a badass by the end, whatever. Like that that was fine. The weird part was them going like ah, with the sequel needs is to pick up with these characters that we have no emotional attachment to and keep it going with them and <laughs> try and fit that in with the larger RE lore. Because this, like, I genuinely, like, uh, I was having a discussion with someone about this privately, uh, about the game, and they were, like, trying to figure out if they were going to uh, stream it or not and, like, what was under embargo. Um, 
And they spoiled like an end game thing for me that was like listed in Capcom's like, don't talk about this stuff. And they I think I know what you're talking about. They, they apologize, <clears throat> Brad Shoemaker. Um, <laughs> but uh, they apologize for spoiling it for me. But I, my response was like, dude, that could be a giant, like, who who even knows? Like, yeah. like this is a game where, so the game would be out so I can, like, like there, this is a game where at times, like, your arm falls off and you just reattach it and, like, you just keep moving. Um, and it's not explained. Like, I mean, it's, 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 it's like, look, you know, the game I is feel clearly like. like explanation. That moment uh, felt well, very like, hey, remember this happened in Resident Evil 7? Well, yeah. now it's happening in Resident Evil 8. Well, I mean, it, look, from the go, this game is, like, hinting that, like, stuff is awry in a way that is, like, different than just, like, you know, bio, you know, engineering by the Umbrella Corporation or whatever the company is that's doing Maybe this. Maybe the T-Virus isn't behind this one. Yeah, I don't know. So, you know, it, it's all just to say it feels very stapled together. Yeah. Um, um, you know, the, the rumors of this game's development are that, uh, it, you know, that it was a, a non-RE game that became an RE game. Which I should say, like, is also like a fair, sounds fairly normal for how Capcom makes it. They, they let their teams go experiment, and it doesn't necessarily have to be an X, Y, or Z. And then they kind of figure out as they go along. Pretty normal and typical with with making games, especially in big ten, temple franchises. But this one in particular feels like it would have. It could have just been Resident Evil Eight. Like, why does it have to be Ethan Winters? Why did we need Chris Redfield to take like a weird? like character shift that's like, yeah, the, he's the hero. Like, why does he have to show up and be an asshole in the beginning? Like none of this stuff, it feels so forced even for Resident Evil that I, I just wish this game had been Resident Evil 8. Yo, also weird shit was happening in a village and just like let me play as a random villager that gets pulled into, you know, the, the strangeness of of what's going on. Um, And that's where this game feels like from a design perspective, it is a team still figuring out uh-oh, we made a first-person Resident Evil. What do we do now? Um, and then, like, uh-oh, like, we have, like, 25 years of complicated lore, like, and a character nobody cares about. Uh-oh. Um, and, like, there's... It still <laughs> works. Like, I really... I want them to continue the, this form. Like, I, I love the fact that we don't get big-budget horror all the time. And, like, the fact that we have a first-person big-budget horror game, like, sings to me. And, like, the highs of this game are so incredibly high that I want to see this team keep playing in this, in this field. Um, but the, like the lows are pretty low and I don't know. It's just, it's just a very strange game. I'm very glad it exists. I think people are going to like it a lot, but it is, it is, it is tremendously weird and not always in the best ways. It, um, but I don't know, maybe part of the ricketiness is also like kind of cool. Like, yeah, it, it I mean, that's always like, been part of the charm of resident evil that things, are super strange and they don't, they don't always quite work, but there's always these great moments within it that you remember. And then you kind of forget the ship or you forget the factory yeah. or you forget. I forgot you know, the ship was even in RE7. And that's a game. I'm like, yeah, this game fucking rules. Like I love this game. And then you mentioned the ship and like, I was like, Oh no, right. <laughs> that ship you, sequence was really you completely bad. blocked out how that game ended. Right. All you <laughs> right. remember is, is Jack Baker bursting through the walls and scaring the crap out of you. I remember, yeah, I don't remember leaving that mansion and it's like, or the, you know, the, that house and eventually, eventually you did. So, um, uh, two, yeah. two things I want to I want to tag on there. Their their attempt to turn Ethan Winters from generic everyman to badass Resident Evil protagonist super does not land. Um, it's implied that between the games, he's been getting some sort of military training and has been in contact with Chris Redfield. Yeah, it. Rob is laughing. <laughs> um, 
And like he's been reading some wikis. Yeah, he's got like you go into it's got that segment at the beginning of the game where you can wander around their home after they've read their child a book. And like his his bookshelf is full of like how to, you know, how to survive in the wilderness and, you know, how to make your own ammunition and all this kind of stuff. Um, And then but they never this gets really bizarre towards the end of the game. You never see Ethan Winner's face. He's supposed to be the protagonist that the player projects themselves onto, right? Um you they they pull out for uh f- for some wide angle like cutscenes later, but they always make sure that like someone's arm is covering Ethan Winter's face. Wait, he's or like that Wilson he's, in home improvement? Yes, exactly. You never <laughs> you never get to see him. It's very strange. Um and and also like this like also this survival stuff like is like there's a there's a there's a mechanic um where the the uh you know the 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 shopkeeper like sort of character who I should as brief aside like really grotesque fat fat phobic like design in which there the game is not whereas like Lady D feels like they accidentally stumbled into like uh like a, a large unsaid kink in the gaming uh, community like Nothing like that with the Duke. It's just like, you know what's funny? It's like a big, fat, grotesque character. And like, ha, 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 look how, like, fat he is. And it sucks. And is, like, you you have, like, the the ying of Lady D and the yang of, of the Duke. And, like, it doesn't work. And have you have it, you made any meals sucks. for the Duke yet? Right. So that's what I was getting to, <laughs> is that, like, one of the mechanics of the game, and this services both points I'm making, is, uh, yo, he wants you to make him some food so that you can get, like, these permanent stat upgrades like a you know big health update or you uh, can guard uh, against attacks and so what you end up, like that part's gross is like because it just feeds into uh you know this this really disgusting character design because like one of the things you have to do is like go make meals uh for him um but then also the survival aspect like aspect of ethan winters where it's like the game on uh, will mark on the map like this is where the chickens are, um, and it's like I'm I'm squatting on the ground like swinging a knife wildly <laughs> trying to like kill this kill these chickens so I can bring them back to the Duke. Or uh, you're like looking through a house rummaging for bullets, and then you hear like, and it's like oh <laughs> there's a pig nearby. Better get out my fucking shotgun, blast it in the face so I can collect the rare meat um, to bring back to the, to the Duke. Or I don't know, like, there's this little pond, and I see some fish, and I'm out here again swinging my <laughs> fucking knife so I get these. It's so the game it's just strange. becomes Cooking Mama, essentially? Like, what? <laughs> like, why are you out you here know, searching for rare meat? It's weird. It's you weird. gotta, it's the only way to improve your, your max health and, like, your max stamina and your speed is to feed the Duke meals from uh, the animals you've killed in the village. Which you don't even really need to do. Like, I haven't died in this game. Like, I looked, it's like, greatly increased my health. It's like, do I The do I only time I um, want to hear people talking about rare meat, it's like when Rob Zachney gets some kind of cured nonsense. Um, <laughs> my Rob Zachney is my dude. Stocking, uh, cured uh, Serrano ham, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, listen, I know all of you. The, the other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, Patrick, you said something, like, something spoilery happens in the opening moments of this game. Mm-hmm. Um Karen was sitting on the couch next to me watching me play the opening of this. And she's like, why did that just happen? Yeah. And and I was – I turned to her and I was like, I would have to explain 20 years of dumb backstory 
to explain why that thing even kind of maybe makes sense. But even but even like the sequence that occurs is so over the top. Yes. And there, it's very a hyper, it's an RE6 there, moment. There, there, and but there there is a hyper violence moment in the first, you know, 10 minutes of this game uh, involving one of the main characters that is so it's not like unsettling in like the fun RE7, RE8, like grotesque character design, like, you know, monster movie sort of thing. It's just it. RE6 doesn't look like a realistic game. It's a cartoon that has Chris Redfield at one point punching a boulder. Or is that RE5? That's RE5. Has Chris Chris Redfield uh, punching a boulder in a quick time event sequence <laughs> to try and move it out, out of the way. Um, this game has like that sort of exaggerated violence, but with hyper-realistic visuals. Like you watch a character die in 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 a, in a not a like fun monster way but in like a realistic violence sort of way that's just like I don't what and it doesn't stop immediately like it just keeps going it was a real um, bizarre way to open the game and i clearly you know it's intentional it's meant to shock but it's not it, i don't think they got the shock they were they were going for it mostly just felt uh weird and upsetting it was like okay we didn't you could have made your point um like the, five well, seconds ago, it, it <laughs> feels like they're going. they're attempting to set up someone as a as an antagonist, and then yep. uh, spoiler, they don't pay that off. Oh, great! <laughs> so look forward to that. I'm sure that's DLC, um, but it doesn't. But it doesn't succeed in striking a Cronenbergian note of no, like welcome. No. no, okay, no, it's not so a like, uh, th- like no, not not a Cronenbergian moment at all. It feels. It's very strange. Like Patrick said, it look it's like cartoon and real world violence mixed together, and it just it's very odd. Yeah, it's like yeah, okay, we're trying a little too hard here now. Um, so so yeah, it'd be like an edge lord scripted that moment. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I strong vibes. Well, I mean, you know. Ethan turned into an edgelord between games where he's like, got to read my survivalism books. Molan Labe, motherfuckers. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, the thing is, um, a lot of people, the general consensus seems to be, and, and Galt, you even said this, you're like, it's a good Resident Evil game with all that that implies. Yep. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I did kind of get the vibe that just like, by the end, you were more like, it wasn't just the deviation from expectation that was disappointing. It was also like, even on its own terms, by the end, it sounded a bit like you were this kind of be, put off by how they landed it. Can we do? Can we do spoilers? I think it would be uh, a little bit uh, easier. I think we should. Not, I would. I would. I would. I would wait. Okay. Um, I mean, um, speaking like generalities, maybe, but it, like you know, this game is would just be coming out as we this comes out. Hey everybody, your friendly neighborhood producer here, Kato, just to give you a quick spoiler warning. Despite what we just said, there will be spoilers for the end of RE8. They're more general lore spoilers, so if you don't care about that, you can keep listening. But if you do want to avoid them, you should skip the next two minutes and that'll put you clear past those spoilers. Enjoy! I would say that like that energy of the opening moment... Uh, returns in a big way for like the last hour. The last hour of the game is that opening moment again, um, and that fe- it felt like it felt like such a tonal. Sh- it felt like they remembered at the very end of the game that they had to attach the greater Resident Evil mythology to it. They had to bring in the Umbrella Corporation. 
They had to, you know, figure out a way to get the main characters from the other games involved to continue the story. Um, and in rushing to do that, they made some bizarre choices that don't feel like they land within the game they were trying to make. If that makes sense. Do you think we are poised for just a full repeat of the Resident Evil series cycle of life where it's like Resident Evil 7? Yeah, that's some good horror. Resident Evil 8. Okay, that's a really uneven, but some good action and some good horror, but like uneven, not sure. And like you think Resident Evil 9, it's going to be like Zero Dark Zombie. Yes. Um, Zero Dark Zombie is a very, that's a very interesting, uh, 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 analogy that you threw out there because uh some some of the story beats that they tease at the end of this uh and the direction that they're kind of pointing for where they want to go with a sequel um zero dark zombie uh i could see it i could see them doing that there's some uh there's some interesting um soldiers at the end of this game is what i will say all right well you know nothing Nothing says Resident Evil like troops. Uh, so we will we will look forward to Resident Evil 9. Uh, but in the meantime, um, I guess you can get Resident Evil Village right now. Mm. Now you know what you're in for. It ain't, it's, it ain't more seven. It's good. It's good. Oh, it's People got, are going to like it's it. Got, it's, it's got it's it's got enough of it. Like there 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 are like the again like the sequence I got to the like just taking away your guns. Like there are I do like that they haven't fully lost that. It's, yeah. You know the team clearly still wants to build those things. I think what they've tried to do here is an ebb and a flow, and like and some of it works. Some of it. <laughs> I, I mean yes, I do. Like yeah, I like you know like mask off like. Fuck y'all cowards who were too scared to play RE7, which means I didn't get the game that I deserved, which was a sequel to that game. This isn't it. This isn't a sequel to RE7. This is this is just like meeting in the mainstream for a bunch of people who couldn't couldn't hack RE7. And so I have to deal with like occasionally getting the scary sequence in RE8. And some good highs, but it's not what I was looking for. All right, so we're going to uh, take a break there while Patrick prepares his change.org uh, petition <laughs> for the Capcom cut. Thanks, Obama. Uh, Resident Evil uh, Village. <laughs> Uh, we'll be back, uh, in just a minute here, uh, with the second half of our show, uh, golf, I believe you are tagging out, uh, to go do real work. This is but, real uh, work. It is. It is. Uh, but thanks for joining us and, uh, we'll have you back soon. Yeah, thank you for, so much for having me. I love where, all of where you can people, I will see you later. Where can people follow your work? Where can I'm, they see what you're up to? I'm on the Twitter box at MJGAULT, and uh, I have a podcast about current affairs and uh, war called Angry Planet. We're all wherever fine pods are casted is where you can find that. We love that. All right. Well, thanks so much, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you so much. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. 
And we're back. Uh, Gita, I just have one question. Hello. Where are we dropping? <laughs> <laughs> so there's a new Apex Legends mode, and it doesn't involve dropping anywhere. Yeah. No dropping. Oh, my God. No dropping. Yeah, there's a brand new mode, and it's it's really, really fun because it gives you the thing about Apex Legends that Respawn is so good at, which is those very intense really fast-paced gunfights that you only get to experience like once every four games in regular Apex Legends because it's a battle royale. Like, I don't know about other people, but when I play battle royales, I'm never prepared when a gunfight is about to happen. I'm always surprised. And so I'm never really able to be at the best of my ability. And I think that's what makes battle royales so exciting, right? That you can't like be, you. everything's different every single time. But the new mode allows you to like use all the characters abilities to the best of your ability and anyway so it's called Lapitz Legends Arenas uh and it is very much just like Apex Legends itself was very much trying to chase the hero shooter and like Fortnite this is trying to chase Valorant in some ways you can tell it's 3v3 Mm -hmm. matchups on really small maps um, and you have an economy phase before you start playing. So you start off with a low amount of currency and you can buy uh, a gun, uh, you know, health and shield charge, uh, as well as you can no longer charge, you know, there's no longer, your abilities are no longer on a cooldown. You have to buy charges and that includes your ult. So that is like a huge change. But but it's mostly question, like just yes. quick question: Are you capped on that? Like, if you're just if you if you are flush with cash, can you just be like, I have I, my character's going to be ridiculously unbalanced. I have a shit ton of charges. No, you have you can get up to three charges on your tactical and one charge on your um on your ultimate. We actually uh, I was playing on stream with uh, Mikhail from Washington Post, <laughs> who is who is a delightful and strange human being, very very kind. Uh, and him and his friend Ro, uh, we were, it was very, we had a, a situation in which, so it's a uh, rounds of three. And then if you ever tie, you get sent into a tiebreaker, which is just another two extra rounds. And then if you, if you lose the tiebreaker, um, you are sent back to having to play more rounds. But if you it's, win the tiebreaker, uh, the next match round you play is match point. Yeah, it's you kind have of to, confusing. You have to win by two, basically. So if yes. you if you get if you get to what would have been match point, but the other team catches up, then it goes into whoever pulls ahead by two. Uh, wins. Yeah. So it has yeah. a Counter Strike thing of the possibility of endless overtime. Yes. Yes. Very Love much it. so. That happened to that happened to me and Mikhail and Rowe <laughs> on stream where we we got we were behind and then we got to a tiebreaker and we were like fuck yes and then we we won the tiebreaker and we're like. Fuck yes. This was, we hadn't gotten a dub yet. So we were like really excited too. Uh, and then we lost the match point and we were like, God damn it. Because <laughs> we couldn't, I bought, you know, I bought my ult in the last round of the tiebreaker and I couldn't use it during the match point round. And that really set us behind. And we were like, and the, the other team had regrouped and like, you know, changed their strategy and we're flanked us. So all these things that I think about in the battle royale version of, Apex Legends, I feel like in arenas, I can finally actually apply it because no one's surprising me anymore. <laughs> so th- this I find kind of fascinating because like, um, you're right, like to an extent, 
Respawn is great at making those like close in like uh, knife fight in a phone booth type uh, yeah. shooters. But yeah, like battle royales are games really about hunting dynamics yes. in some ways and not necessarily that like when when clutching it out happens i'm the same same way get it where i'm always startled when it comes down to that <laughs> like to the point where no matter how many years i've been trying to internalize switch weapons don't reload yeah i am still like yeah ineffectually blasting the entire magazine like yep. all over the room and then just being like mashing r <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> that's me every time I yeah. always will scream like if I I don't stream those games because I'm always like ah you know yeah happens. no it's 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 tragic but I think but what interests me here is like it carries off that um sort of competitive game like tactical dynamics uh, structure despite being like it still feels like Apex Legends but they just constrained it in a way that it feels like a successful competitor to Valorant. Yeah, I was playing with Mikhail mostly when he streams, he mostly plays Valorant. And he was able to, like, the, the skills he learned from Valorant were very uh, transferable, <laughs> I would say. There you do, um, it is sort of like in the tradition of, of how Apex is, like, the abilities are really useful. It feels, they feel less necessary than they are in a game like Overwatch, where your ability cooldowns are something you pay attention to so much because they can really make or break the game. But in, it's very interesting to watch these abilities, though, become decontextualized in a situation where you can't use them infinitely. And also, you're just like in much closer quarters. So you some of the things that feel less useful in a battle royale uh, become extremely useful when you are just going to be sort of ducking in and out of cover and need to reposition really quickly. Like, for example, uh, the, the, the team composition of Horizon who has a tactical ability that allows them to sort of create a uh, a launch pad for any character. It's like a grav thing. And then Octade, whose tactical ability allows him to run much faster. And then the new character, Valkyrie, who's just can fly. She just has a jetpack. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she just has one. Like that team comp is now terrifying to, to see. That would not really be useful in the Battle Royale because you don't need to have that much speed. But in this game, in the arenas, when I we we played against an Octane Horizon and a Valk, and I never want to see that team comp ever again. It's terrifying. They will just come and find you <laughs> and just destroy you because Valkyrie's also her tactical ability is a missile barrage that she can aim at you from the air. And it, it really like just flushes people out from cover. And then before you can even think about it, Horizon and Octane are on top of you. So Good. You know what this is also reminding me a little bit of is um, Lawbreakers to an extent. Huh. Um, yeah. Which was like hearing you describe this, especially Valkyrie, like Lawbreakers entire thing, probably to its ultimate detriment, was the fact that like the coolest shit was like, what if we just put a badass in some sort of armored suit and had them just like blast people with big <laughs> weapons? Um, and I know that sounds like every sci-fi shooter, but like it was really extreme in Lawbreakers. Yeah. yeah. But like that whole thing was about like, these characters aren't superheroes, but they have like super heroic powers to like mobility uh, to just sort of zip around the map and like sort of take high ground wherever and just like rain hell down on people below. And like hearing you describe this, I'm like, oh, shit. Like, is this going to be the version of Lawbreakers that ends up sticking around too? where like it's not as um, it's got the like very um, like 
confined or constrained dynamics of a tactical competitive shooter, but with the sort of expressiveness of like a more heightened uh, like action game. So that. Yeah, it's. It feels like that, right, right now, you know, like where the tactical elements are very, very, very important. You know, you do have positioning becomes positioning was already important in the Battle Royale version of Apex, where if someone else, if another character has a high ground, you're fucked. <laughs> like it just doesn't really, you have to make, close that distance or find cover because having the high ground in Apex Legends is like, it can really, you could really just murder people very easily that way. Um, and here, you know, because everything's so fast paced, I started playing a character. So normally, normally I play Mirage because I like hearing his voice lines and I'm not going to win anyway. <laughs> and, and then I started playing, uh, we were not, then I started playing um, Valkyrie because it's just really fun to fly. And I was really, really enjoying that. But we were getting like our asses kicked. And I started noticing that a lot of players were using Crypto, which has the ability to track other players on the map and you know, has this like tracking abilities. I'm not very good at crypto. I don't really get. I always end up getting killed while I'm looking at the drone. <laughs> but I um I do know how to play uh, Bloodhound, who also has a tracking ability and whose ultimate uh, allows them to see enemies like through walls and through cover and all this stuff. Like makes it is very very useful if you're trying to root out other players who might be hiding from you or are using cover tactically. And once I started using Bloodhound, uh, the other two players on my team we had a lifeline. And they, they also changed Lifeline's Revive so that instead of putting you behind a shield where you revive very slowly, Lifeline's new tactical is so useful in the arena because it's just autonomous. She attaches a health drone to you and then she can walk away and you'll just revive. You know, because of how fast things are in these gunfights, you don't have a lot of time to do things like heal or charge your shields. So having a character that can revive you and then get back to shooting right away is really, really useful. And then our third character, well, Ro was just really good at shooters. So our third character was anyone who was using a wingman because he could headshot everybody. <laughs> um, and it, it like worked out for us. And like that started being a composition that was incredibly useful. Uh, and it's, it's just like I wouldn't have played that way. If we were starting to do things like, as, you know, because you have limited charges, I would look out for, you know, movement or other char player characters. And then as soon as we could find them, we'd try to start to try to position so we could have one person come and flank around the side. And then, like, as soon as we were in range, I would hit the tactical so everyone would be marked. And then usually we could ambush them from there and be able to, to win that round. The wrinkle on top of this that makes it different from Valorant is that there is also a circle in this game where that gets smaller and smaller and you will yeah. die if you're not in it. So you're forced into confrontations. Like they, the, the point is to get you in as small a space as possible and make you have a gunfight. And that's always the thing I'm wanting to do in Apex Legends is have a really satisfying gunfight. And now there's a mode that will give that to me every time. <laughs> But it doesn't have so it it does it rules out that thing of like Counter Strike where it's like you're gonna watch two people peek endlessly yeah. Yeah. around a corner. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um I do love that your team composition was like scout, healer, good player. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. Okay, so I'll do the thing, um, not the killing people. You do the thing, also just keep keep the good person up and <laughs> 
Yeah, so much of my job was telling Ro where people were hiding around quarters. To be like, oh, Ro, someone's coming behind you. Ro, uh, someone's up top. (laughs) Ro, maybe get closer to Mikhail and you see like... (laughs) Yeah, this is... um yeah, this, this is, reminds me of like the uh, the Hoosiers strategy. Um, a sports movie that's lar- long, like long regarded as great, but like one of the critiques of it is if you really boil it down, uh, the story of this like plucky basketball program is literally just the coach persuades the really good player in town to play for him. And the rest of it's like, damn, this coach is a genius. But if you step back from the movie, it's like, no, that kid's just a stone cold killer. Yeah. Like, it's like the, the rest of those guys don't need to do anything. Just- yeah. No, I got better at shooting over time. Also, like finally in this game, I feel like because I'm always so startled in apex, like normal, I've never really learned how to shoot and be calm. But now you're in that combat zone. Yeah. So you're like, yeah. We play for like a good two hours. Like it really goes quickly. Also, like each, even though round like matches can become very long. Like that one where we got into two two tiebreakers. That was like a half hour <laughs> of shooting gun. But it it is. It also it feels so fast because the actual confrontations they're over in about five minutes. Like as soon as you get up in each other's grill, you you it's difficult to like disengage from that because that circle is closing around you um but it's it does now now that like it really shows me the reason why i've been bad i've told myself i was bad at shooters for so long uh it's because i didn't ever give myself a chance to play something where i would feel prepared and i've played so much apex that i really feel familiar with not just like the the mechanics of it but just like how to make guns and stuff do what i want even though I don't feel like I get a chance to use those skills in the game itself. And here I feel like I finally found a place where like, okay, well, my my kill death ratio is finally improving. And like my damage is like a lot better than it normally is in Apex Legends where I'm just like, eh, and then I die. So it it, it is, I think honestly, it's a the version of the game I most want to play. I don't, I do like Battle Royale, but we played some duos together, me and Mikhail, and it just like, it wasn't as fun as Arenas. Arenas was a lot more fun because you did more. Um, did you did you play Valkyrie? Yeah, I played. I played some yeah. Valkyrie. She How does is, the flying feel? It's inter- it's Destiny esque, mm. <laughs> interestingly, yeah. in that um, you will you are gonna have to get a feel for wh- how it feels to use your your how. So it it's definitely taking cues from a lot of different other shooters. I guess I'll start there. And that w- using your launch ability reminded me a lot of how you have a set amount of fuel that can deplete in uh, when you're playing D.Va in Overwatch, for instance. Um, and But then, like, the way that the, your character jumps and the way that they float down and how that's sort of maneuverable, but also you kind of have to learn how much your character weighs and how, you know, how much sort of moving them around will affect the trajectory of their body. That reminded me a lot of learning to jump in Destiny. So you, um, you, when you're flying, you don't, you can't, when you launch, you can't shoot anything, which I think is like part of how they have uh, made this mechanic not in an instant game winner. Uh, and you're also very, so you're very vulnerable if you're up in the air. I was, it's very possible to get shot and then be knocked down and bleed out when you get to the ground. Uh, there were a couple of instances in which I flew up as Valkyrie 
uh, I spotted someone, they shot me, and then I bled out as soon as I landed. Um, but you do have the ability at the like top of your arc to hit that tactical, which is very, 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 very useful. It's like it's like a lot of missiles, and they also um, you can't use your healing or your abilities while you're being hit by them, which sucks. <laughs> uh, and it's also you do have a little window on the way back down. You know, there's an animation first. Valkyrie will give a peace sign once she starts floating down, which is very cute. And then there's like a beat and then you can take your gun back out. So you still do have the ability to sort of create high ground with her and use that to take out a player who's on top of a roof, for instance. Um, but she seems to be in a lot of ways. I see other players or players using her as a scout because she can fly up and get a vantage point that other players can't see and get... I mean, in that in that matchup, when you've got two other characters who give you new tools for traversing through, a, you know, obstacles, like Horizon, who gives you those jump pads, and Octane, who also gives you a launch pad for his ultimate, like, you end up with just a team that can fly all around the map and is literally unstoppable. <laughs> it's very scary. Uh, playing against her also, you start hearing the jets. The jets have a particular sound and everyone always launches off immediately. So it's just like you start you you the game starts the little, you know, music t dies down and then you hear a and you're like, I'm dead. <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> um, what 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 kind of map variety is there in uh, the arena's queue right now? Right now, there's three maps that switch every 15 minutes, which I actually really liked that speed because it means you get familiar with all the maps really, really fast. We went from really not knowing where we were going to um, being able to figure it out pretty fast. And I think there are also like little snippets of uh, the other Battle Royale maps, except with particular certain changes. So in artillery, um, there are also like, I think there are big guns that you can post up and shoot, like big artillery guns. Um and then in another map, Phase Runner, there's these big uh, tubes that work like phase teleporters in the same way that Wraith's ability works. So you can use those to just go to different parts of the map really fast. Uh, the third one, I don't remember what it's called, and I don't remember what special thing was, but I think it was nice. Um, it's They're pretty different. They're not so unfamiliar from the Battle Royale maps that you're going to feel like disoriented in them in a way in something that's very different from uh csgo and Val um valorant maps so there aren't a lot of hallways there aren't a lot of passageways this is pretty open they don't want you to like get lost or to like sit and camp in a hallway they want you to go directly to the other team the goal is not to hide or to set traps for other people the goal is to shoot someone in the head <laughs> just right away iraqs see this is i like valorant a lot but that was the thing for me that the same, like, I'm so nervous now because I've been waiting for so long for just someone to get around this corner. And now they're here. And I'm like, I don't even remember how to play the game because I'm so anxious. And then I shoot a wall and they kill me. That stuff is just not going to happen here. You go in, you gear up and you're like, we're going to war. This is going to be over fast. And it, <laughs> it that to me just really fits what I like about first person shooters. I like getting, you know, having a gun that feels good, having movement that feels very fluid, and then being able to fly around like Spider-Man and shoot someone who doesn't even know that I killed them. Yeah, that's um 
that does sound like it addresses a lot of the issues that can crop up with um, not just battle royales, but like a lot of shooters where it's like that part of getting good is getting in there and mixing it up. But so mm-hmm. many games are structured to like make it take so long to get to that moment mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also require so much like understanding of the game to like even function in that moment that yeah. the fact they've kind of condensed this down to like just go get in there and mess people up sounds really nice. Yeah. Um, it's something I feel like um, probably has a really high skill ceiling, but the skill floor, because these are all, all the things that are in this mode are elements of Apex Legends that already exist in other parts of the game. So there's the, the getting a used to this mode is really, really, really easy. Like it made me think about like why I stopped playing Valorant. And like part of it was getting into these maps realizing that I didn't know where I was going or what each pathway was or what my teammates meant when they were saying A, B, and C, knowing that I would have to take time outside of the game to study a map and then being like, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I'm just not going to do it. It's not even about not wanting to. It's like, I'm not going to. That doesn't fit into my life and how I play games. I don't feel that invested in this experience to 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 want to do that. Where, you know, in Apex, because everything's so quickly, you don't need to know every, it happens so quickly, you don't have to know every single pathway in a map, you don't have to know every single secret, you just need to know enough so that you can get from point A to point B, close the distance between you and the other team, and then start using the other skills you have to fake them out, to use your abilities in a smart way, to be able to mark people. Not just that, but use the wide variety of ways that Apex Legends already gives you to communicate with your teammates non-verbally by pinging people. You know, what really became essential to us was that we were all on comms, which is, I'm IMO, not essential during the Battle Royale version. But you could tell that teams, you know, what teams were talking to each other and what teams weren't. And like the major difference when we weren't didn't have a dedicated third player was that person would just go and try to, you know, 1v3 everybody, which is just not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, I do think like for a person, like if you, if you wanted to play Valorant and couldn't couldn't get into it for the reasons that are similar to mine try this out it's really really fun (laughs) okay uh that is the apex legends arenas mode and that does sound like a lot of fun and sounds like a nice little way to get back on board with that game if if you rob i will see you there if you're Mm -hmm. down i'm ready (laughs) rob kato i'm always ready to play all right so i think um we can probably just dip into the question bucket uh here um we had a lot of so get on the last show Mm -hmm. we had someone pause it what would you prepare for let's get your answer to this question okay you have to prepare a dinner for the following guests your mother a dairy farmer a vegetarian a food waste advocate was that it Kata, do you remember what the exact term was? A food politics person. We can just say that. Yeah, I a food politics I went, person. I went to Oberlin. I know what that means. My dad doesn't buy bananas. <laughs> yeah. A yeah. hunger um, activist. A hunger activist. Yeah. And a nutritionist. Um, uh, yeah, and nutritionist. And so you had to prepare a meal that would please that crowd. Okay, so I'm a lactose intolerant vegan. 
Yeah. <laughs> so this is already pretty easy for me. I don't. I also don't care if my mom's satisfied with my cooking or not. She finds reasons to be upset with me all the time. So <laughs> she can. She can suck it. <laughs> I love you, mom. But chill. Um, dairy farmer. I feel like I would have to go with. Uh, a recipe that I've now finally perfected, which is my vegan mac and cheese as uh, a side. Actually, let's think about this in terms of courses. First course, soup and salad. Um, they, I have an extremely delicious, very creamy potato soup recipe, like a plurv in a sort of cup with a nice little crusty bread uh, baked uh, by myself with just a little house salad with a little balsamic, some pickled onions, some greens, I think like some uh, what have is served on top of this soup is a little dollop of olive caviar. And I think I would put a dollop of that in the salad as well. Um, then moving on to the main, it would be for a side uh, asparagus grilled in my cast iron with a nice sear. Some of my vegan mac and cheese, which I make with cashews, uh, cashew cream sauce, um, which I think tastes very cheesy. And I would love to talk with a dairy farmer about how you can replicate the flavor of cheese using non-cheese things. Um, and then for the main part of it, hmm, I think the way that I would try to please the people at that table with my main so I'm a lactose intolerant vegan and I also can't have cauliflower, mushrooms, or chickpeas. So which really makes cooking pretty difficult wow. for me yeah. at times. Okay. Yeah. Because a lot of the vegan replacements, I have IBS and you know, those things set off my IBS. And a lot of vegan replacements are made out of those three things. So I've had to get pretty creative in terms of how I can give myself a full meal all the time. And um, I want to make a dish that is like vegan. Like just the way that it's always been cooked, but I like and Indian food. I want to make South Indian food, which is the food that my mother grew up teaching me how to cook, which is all vegan or very easily made to be vegan, uh, and is also really easy to make and extremely plentiful. I feel like I could make dal with a side of mac and cheese, but I'm not sure it would be a totally congru congruent. But I'm gonna say like rice and dal for the main there. Rice and dal with eggplant and potato. And then for a dessert, I would make a vegan version of kheer just to give I, a dessert I actually hate, <laughs> but my mom does love. Kheer basically is hot milk with noodles in it. Like, I'm sorry, Indian American listeners and Indian listeners, but that is what kheer is. All Indian desserts taste like cardamom and sugar, but I do love that flavor. But it is like, it is a dairy-based dessert with like a little vermicelli, some spices, uh, raisins. It's like a, a little dessert soup. I think that that would be the little dessert soup with maybe like a tiny slice of a a, a type of like pound cake or something. That's that, a little concession. Yeah. Yeah. Put it yeah, over the top. I think so. Uh, that would be the kind of dinner I'd have. I, this was a very intense, like intense question for me. I, I like food a lot. <laughs> No, it it is, and uh, it elicited a lot of responses. Uh, and yeah, one of the things that a lot of people brought up was like, well, you know, Indian food would check a lot of those boxes. Um, you could just serve them dosa. Like, <laughs> you could actually, you know, I would make idli. I'd make idli and sambar. 
for the main alongside the um, idli or like fermented rice cakes. And they come mm. with a bunch of different sauces. And that would be fun also because mm. then you get to put the sauce on the the mac and cheese and the asparagus too and, you know, try them out with all different kinds of flavors. It's, it's one of my favorite foods. It's pretty difficult to find in restaurants in America. I found... Italy in um, in New York, just because there's a lot of Indians here, and like Jackson Heights is like a hop, you know, a stone's throw away. Um, but you know, South Indian food, which is all vegetarian and mostly vegan, is just there aren't not as many South Indian chefs as there are North Indian chefs when they eat more meat and they eat more dairy. We got one interesting answer from Chris Johnston. Uh, if I'm serving one meal for everyone to share, I would go with the vegetarian version of panacurti, uh, panhagrity. It's layers of thinly sliced potatoes, onions, and melted cheese, like an eggless omelet. You can add other ingredients, peppers, mushrooms, spinach. If I was making a three-course meal, entree, mushroom, and silton soup. This, is like the most, this feels like a very British uh, answer to this. <laughs> entree, mushroom, and silton soup. Main, nut roast with vegetable vegetables. All leftovers can be used for bubble and squeak. Does anyone know what bubble and squeak is? It's one of those British foods that sounds like a Harry Potter spell. Yeah, (laughs) bubble and squeak. (laughs) What on earth? Oh, okay. It's just like... Bubble and squeak is a British dish made from cooked potatoes and cabbage mixed together and fried. Okay. Yeah, this is like a British poverty meal that... That has now just become a staple. <laughs> yes, this feels like a um, uh, like every cuisine has a version of this. The the frittata mm-hmm. adjacent, yep, uh, etc. Some quiche. stuff you gotta use. Fry them up. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then dessert: fruit with cheese board and port. I feel like you bust out that port. That'll you know. Then it really looks like mm-hmm. you were. You were trying, I think. If you just bring out, oh, I'll just bring out the port. And everyone's going to be like, ooh, this is a dinner party now. I love it. Yeah. Um, but thank you for introducing me to the term bubble and squeak. Um, let's see. DJ with an important question. Hey, gang. Love the festival emails. Here's an easy one for you. Guacamole on tacos. Yes or no? I personally always put guac on my tacos, but I could imagine someone from guac is solely a dip and would be profane as a topping. Bonus question, what is your ideal taco construction? So I think for me, like like straight away, I don't – I do not think this is an equivalent to ketchup on hot dogs, right? Like Mm -hmm. the taco is just a canvas and it can have guac on it or you can dip dip it in the guac. But like there's no – I don't get with any of this like (laughs) no sour cream in your taco or burrito. Like sometimes sour cream on that stuff is real nice. I we went so um you know we're you know yours we're gonna expand like the palette of your like what your kids eat you know you have things that are like hey we we just need them to eat and, like the nights wrap it up like whatever make the mac and cheese with peas and we'll go with their <laughs> lives um but especially now that uh my oldest Jessica is back at school where when she is at school she will eat whatever they give her because she's surrounded by kids and there's like a societal pressure to do that so she's nudged in the direction of trying like. She ate like you know like pork one time, and I was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Like that kid, like if there's like char marks on the chicken, she's like, "That's spicy." And I'm like, "You don't know what <laughs> I know what you're saying." Um, and and so uh, 
we've been trying to take advantage of the fact, like, what is she eating at school, and then try and make it at home, and like take advantage of like her of that stuff. She still she she she'll she'll tell us with chicken. She's like, I only eat that at school. I like the the the, the chicken at school. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Wow. All right. Uh, okay. So anyway, la- so last night um, we had tacos and my wife and I, w- what we wanted her to eat was, you know, try and eat what we're eating. But really, like the taco experience is like whatever, whatever you want on it, like whatever you want to put in that tortilla, you know, go go have fun. And so like what, what, she, what she made was she looked at like the flavored chicken that my wife had made. And I, I looked at it and I was like, there's not a, not a chance in hell she's going to touches well she should try it and i'm like that is it's very red looking i know it's delicious you've made that before i love it i she's gonna look at that and run away and so we tried and she was she was not interested but she ended up she's like well i'm allowed to put whatever i want on my taco i'm like yes so she grabbed a handful of these snap Uh-oh. peas that she also loves to eat throws that on there um big handful of cheese throws that mm-hmm. on there mm-hmm. and then uh my wife doesn't like uh, sour cream, so we use Greek yogurt, common substitute, mm-hmm. and lobs that oh, just just wipes it all over. Hell <laughs> <the>, yes, <laughs> all over the taco, all over the tortilla. Just takes oh. the spoon out and is just like smooth, a big smooth layer oh, of, of Greek yogurt after my like own four heart. Or five sour, four or five snap peas, and like a bunch of like uh, a cheddar cheese or whatever, like thrown on there. Wrapped it up and. Ate that gooey, mm-hmm. gooey mess, and right. you know the, t- the takeaway right. was like, look, "Hey, like she made the taco, she yeah. made a taco, and she ate it." What is important is that she went through the process, yeah. picking what she liked, eating it, exactly. and then getting out the other side. She's developing but- a sense of self, and she's developing her taste. Please tell me what funny thing she did next. Uh, no, it was just like gross when she got to the center <laughs> of it because. You know, like as she's eating into like the gooey middle of this of this taco, it's just snap peas and Greek yogurt and cheese all mushed together. Oh like, my Could God. you please take another bite? And she's like, "Oh, I'd love to." It just ow, and just like you, oh, like you're carrying Resident Evil. Yes, God. Yeah. You'd hear the crispness of those snap peas and the mushiness of that yogurt that over the course of like. The 45 minutes that she slowly ate it, you know, expanding <laughs> and like moisturizing the tortilla and the other parts. Oh. It was it was yeah. a delight. Mod- but yeah, the takeaway was she didn't touch that fucking chicken, but she made a taco and she's like, I liked eating a taco. And I was like, Good. hey, whatever makes you happy. Good. Uh, Change.org petition to replace the Fafoba character in the new Resident Evil game with just a large toddler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would work. Honestly, would have been better. Would have would have fit like like to my, Elizabeth, their one year old, like. She's a she's a big old girl. Yeah. Like she, you know, like yeah. it's like babies do. They got like like thunder thighs. Yep. Like really, yep. and it's cute, adorable. Fit. Like yes, they yeah. should. It should have just been a big talking baby. Just a big baby. And then you could have made them big, yep. and it would have fit the character exactly. So. Like a, an above average sized baby is already startling in real life. Like imagine mm-hmm. like a human adult sized baby in a horror feed, game. Yeah, and then you know when yeah. the baby's like feed me, and it's, it's like, like that yeah, makes, yeah, you know that what makes I, sense. It's I, not that Yeah, Ethan Wynn is gonna go murder that chicken and feed it to this giant baby yep. because I need to yep. my new dark lord yep. is uh, this, it, this baby that needs to eat I feel like anytime we have a game that needs like a video game logic moment you just have a character who's a big baby that's making random demands like that would work <laughs> I'm into it hell yeah but also I love I, I love I love guac so put the guac on the taco like any excuse to get guac on a thing, mm-hmm. like I'm, yeah. I'm here for it. That's yeah. not the dip is great, uh, but at least the problem with the dip version mm-hmm. of of guac is that I will just 
keep eating it. Yes. Like it'll ruin it'll ruin an That's upcoming the meal, meal yeah. for me. Whereas if I'm putting the guac on a taco, I'm a little more controlled with my use of it. Yeah. Like I'm I it's like I'm spraying guac on something like I'm putting like it's ketchup like on hose. something. Like it's just <laughs> I, yeah, like I can't I just I it, I love it too much. And so at least the taco is like I can only fit so much in yeah. there. Or you put too much in there and then it oozes out during the yeah. during the during the eating process. And then you process. just get another chip. It's fine. You could yeah. make yourself some dip. Yeah. Uh, Chicago has like uncommonly good Mexican food too. I feel like people like that's a, a, a well-kept secret of Chicago. It's like everywhere from the big good restaurants like Big Star to like a little place that had pupusas back where we used to live. That place rocked. It was just like a oh hole in the wall. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. That place fucking ruled. Yeah. And they were so, it was like a like dollar fifty. Yeah. Yeah. It was oh like a little God. hole in the wall, oh, family run place. And they just had really good pupusas. And like oh, all, every fucking sick. Unlike in New York, where you sometimes get a bad guac that like doesn't have enough lime juice or isn't salty enough, or they add an unnecessary ingredient. Is it just like me, peas. or is there just a general produce problem in New York sometimes? Sometimes, where, sometimes, yeah, yeah. Like, it just feels like of places I've been, like New York, sometimes seems the dodgiest when it comes to like, oh, let's check out the produce section, and a lot of times it's like, oh, it's way more limited than I would have expected. Yeah, yeah. You, you I've gotten to grocery stores sometimes in New York, and like, there's also like different tiers of grocery stores in New York. This is like, there's, there's. I saw a good meme once that was like, what the grocery store you shop at says about in New York says about you. And it's like if you're the kind of person that only goes to Stop and Shop. Then you just have lived, grown up in the tri-state area and don't want to change. And if you only grocery store you go to is like Whole Foods, is like you're a coward. But like, <laughs> there's like a lot of like little tiny grocery stores, like like uh, I've never seen outside of New York, like uh, food bazaar that just like has all the stuff you need, but like has uncommonly bad produce that's always yeah. like shitty and rotting. <laughs> but even that- the Whole Foods, like it's kind of been irrespective of where I've gone in New York, where it's like, oh, this looks like a giant like flagship Whole Foods location. Oh, it's pretty picked over and everything looks like it's a little past its prime. It's just a kind of a, a weird yeah. feature of... I don't know about you, Kato, but like I know that when I need to like grab... A fresh onion or some garlic. I don't really go to the grocery store. I go to the corner store because they yeah. have like usually they have all this, those real staples I need, and that means that I bet there's just less turnover at grocery stores because a lot of people go to their their bodegas for the staples. Yeah, I think, and yeah, you're right about the whole tier thing. It, it really depends, but even then, it absolutely depends on where you are in the city too. Like, yes, a Whole Foods true. in the middle of the Whole Foods in the middle of Brooklyn is not the same as the Whole Foods in Union Square. Uh-huh. That's very true. <laughs> the Whole Foods in Union Square is a for referral. It's very scary. It is. It is. But it also, I think, has bet just has better stuff, which is yeah. why it also ends up being like a hub. Like even yeah. even the fucking the 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 Whole Foods in Union Square versus the Whole Foods in the Bowery or like yes. near the Bowery. Like those yes. are two d- totally different stores. Like you wouldn't guess it was a chain at all just by the yeah. selection of stuff. Even though they're like, you know. A stone throw away, essentially, as far as you know, city goes. Yeah, that was those were the two different Whole Foods that were by the Kotaku office to both right. to both different locations. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So taco composition. I'll just get into this. Uh, when I ate meat, essentially all I really wanted was a little chopped red onion, a little grilled chicken, and a lime, some lime juice, and some pico de gallo. Like you don't actually need more than that. But I do feel like different tacos call for different toppings. Like you're not going to put 
like the same toppings on a fish taco as you do on a chicken taco or a barbacoa. Now that I don't eat meat, the avocado itself has become the main like central topping in my taco, right? Because that is like a slice of avocado has the same amount of protein and is like the same like shape and size as a dollop of meat a lot of the time. So unless I'm doing like a seitan taco or something like that, the the I can't put guac on it because I have a different kind of avocado on my taco. Already. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, it also like replaces sour cream in some tacos for me. So in a situation where I would put sour cream, I usually just put guac. Go ahead, Kata. I have like two different modes of taco wants. And it's basically dependent on the the tortilla, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. corn tortilla. You just want meat on that, a good good meat, and maybe like that meat has a few like things mi- cooked with it or in it. You know, like like you know, uh, uh, carnitas. Like there's maybe like some uh, onion or something in there, or you know. But it's like that's it. That's mm-hmm. all that's on that thing. It's just the tortilla and whatever your filling is, and it's one filling. Or mm-hmm. my degenerate flour tortillas, which is usually what I make at home. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, a, a, which is essentially just uh, a, a fake. Like I set out basically everything that they have at a Chipotle and just like scoop a, a like spoonful into, including guac, of course, into that. And like that's, but it it definitely depends on like the mood and like the 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 receptacle that I have. I like never want to do that sort of like putting rice and beans and a bit of meat and like guac on a corn tortilla because first of all, it's gonna break apart. Like it cannot, yes. it, it's not built for that much stuff on it. Um, and it just like it's the wrong favorite flavor profile. Like flour tortilla already has that sort of like um just like bready saltiness that is like yeah. gonna go well with rice and beans and then i also want like the rest of the stuff on top anyways yep. so it's yeah. Like, yeah those are two different types of tacos my like this is more legit sort of taco like very simple like you're just throwing whatever single type of filling you're throwing onto it and the like no one actually eats tacos like this. I'm going to put everything in it and it's going to basically be a mini Chipotle burrito. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like there's a difference between like legit Mexican food tacos that are like very authentic, which are delicious in their own right and like really incredible, especially when you get one, you can tell they make the tortillas in-house. Yeah, and for sure. And they just like taste like fresh corn. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's And delicious. then like the, the fast food taco, which is its own thing yeah. and also delicious. <laughs> So I know uh, I would... Kato has talked about his obscene Taco Bell order in the past, but like I also feel like yeah, there's, I grew up that's it. That's a even flavor. like a third tier of like Taco Bell doesn't even like, the word taco yeah. in the in the phrase Taco Bell does not register as taco that's, to me. It's like a different you know? etymology, you know, yeah. vestigial taco. Like yeah, once. exactly. I'm not yeah. getting tacos from Taco Bell. I'm getting a fucking Crunchwrap Supreme. That's right. So that's right. The thing I would say though is that I think there is a tendency to over-identify the fresh corn tortilla as, like, authentic Mexican versus... Mm-hmm. Because, like, uh, growing up, like, the thing about flour tortillas is they're real easy to make at home. Right. And, like, you can have an entire, like, family assembly line of just gunning out fresh flour tortillas. This is what my grandmother did. Mm-hmm. Um, of, like, 
all the kids would be there, like a different stage of the production. When they're adults, it was cute. When they were kids, I gather it was more of a, a pain in the ass. Uh, <laughs> but the flour tortilla, especially like homemade ones, um, like I think part of it is a fresh uh, homemade flour tortilla is so delicious yeah. mm-hmm. that it just becomes kind of a different thing. But also it bears up better to being overloaded. Yes, I, 100%. I think. It's just... It is like a tiny little mini burrito, uh, but also I think just the the difference there being, I, I would say that I think the tortilla itself is allowed to, if it's good, play a bit more of a starring role yeah. in, in that version. And like when I think about that, that's where like if you're trying to like save on food costs as well, like you load that you load that baby down with beans <laughs> um with, with with vegetables and you just like you just eat it and it's great. Um the thing that yeah for the the corn tortilla the tricky thing is like if it's super fresh too they fry up so beautifully. Yes. That like they almost need nothing. Where it's yeah. like okay like I'm going to put like one little ingredient or in there two little like contrasting flavors. Yeah. Like you could put like, just like fajita style grilled peppers and onions. Yeah. And a and a beautiful corn tortilla and that's a taco. Yeah. And the, the, the danger is I can also eat a million of those. Right. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> and eat them fast. And so like midway through, I was like, oh, yeah, it's having a great taco night. And like 20 minutes later, I'm like, you know, I could have stopped like four tacos ago. <laughs> um, ten, ten tacos ago. Mistakes okay, may have been made. Hey, uh, I'm going to, hey, uh, you guys, no, you keep keep enjoying your dinner. I'm just going to uh, walk around the apartment a little bit. Y'all got to Time to take a leisurely turn around the garden. Yeah. <laughs> I, we should all just go back to the time when Rob could have a Victorian manor where he could take a leisurely turn around the garden after he's eaten too many tacos. I just feel like this is what I Rob may deserves. Maybe sometime. Uh, yeah, so, but tacos, they're beautiful. And yes, I think Chicago does get unfairly overlooked. Like, the best Mexican food I've ever had was the tiny place next to the supermarket where uh, I worked, uh, Rancho Grande in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think it was I think it was Hammond, uh, but it was by the old Ultra Foods, and it was again tiny little place, but like the best burritos I've had in my life. Um, yeah, the, man. I don't know how yeah. they did it. They always had the steak perfectly charred, mm. and the flavor came through. That's mm. so hard, especially <laughs> like, when you're making like steak at scale. Right, it's so difficult to get the consistency on the char. It was incredible. Like they did, they did beautiful lengua. I would have taken that steak. Any day of the week, and to an extent, like I've never found a place that has done, uh, like steak burritos quite as well, just because they're so consistent on the on the steak itself. But yeah, nice. uh, I think it, unfairly overshadowed by Californians. I think. Yeah, my parents met and got married in Santa Barbara, and they have this experience now. Now they live in fr- fucking New England, so the Mexican food situation for them is dire. And like every time we've tried to do, they like don't want to try Mexican restaurants in New England. They and they when I was a they're child, a bummer. yeah, they are. They're depressing. Like one, the guac never has lime in it. Where? Why are you not putting the limes in there? I don't know. I don't know why you're that's not doing not, that. It needs that acid. That's not guac. That's just mashed avocados. <laughs> that's just mashed avocados. It, it's <laughs> upsetting. It's so like it's, really upsetting. <laughs> like, and the thing is, like people knock like Chipotle's whatever in Boston. People really like Anna's, and Anna's is fine, but it's not. 
good <laughs> Mexican. Like, I would not, yeah. like, it's yeah. fine. The way um, that people go absolutely bonkers for Chipotle in the tri-state area is is really wild if you've ever had real Mexican food before. Because it- Okay. <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah. When you move to an area where your options are limited, it's like when I moved to San Francisco, mm-hmm. it was like, great. Pizza sucks now. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's not that I didn't find pizza I like. They actually like there were actually like some places that did like decent. It wasn't Chicago style deep dish, but like they did their own spin out. Yeah. Like we actually found places that we like. Um, and actually, that actually was the arc of like being out in the in the burbs was like, right? I guess we're Chipotle people now, yeah. which is fine. It's fine. Like, it's, 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 you know, it's it's like Taco Bell, like yeah. right? Like it's fine. It's actually like, it's, it's definitely a step above it's its own thing. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like. I consider it its own category. Yes. Right. Like, when I'm getting yes. Chipotle, I'm like, it's like, ah, I feel like I'm getting Mexican food. It's like, no, like I'm getting, getting Chipotle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and it's fine. It's like, it's it, it's like it uses some of the same ingredients, but the taste profile is completely, completely different. Yeah. That said, we which turns out like we, the, the area we moved into like has a like a ton of like like popping up like Mexican places. Right. So we've actually found like, well, this is the place that's like really good for tacos. This is the place that, like is really good for burritos. And, like, if I, like and like you know, uh, it, it's not run by a bunch of like teenagers yeah. um, in, in high school. <laughs> yeah. um, Some sad um, people who are all upset that you're interrupting them flirting with each other. <laughs> Well, that's actually like, you know, COVID bad, walking into Chipotle and just picking up the thing I ordered on the app and not interacting with any of the people that work at the Chipotle. Good. Um, We'll continue that experience future. I actually would straight, as as long as I continue to employ the same amount of people and do not increase, decrease their pay, I would absolutely love to have the ability to not bother the people that always seem very tired and exasperated at the fast food restaurants that I go to. You know, I want to just order an Impossible Whopper on my phone, put a $2 in the tip jar, grab it and walk away. Like, that's all I want to do. Like, thank you very, very much. Goodbye. I will say, so since moving out of Boston, the thing that's around here is that, um, so there's a lot more like Dominican and Salvadoran uh, food around here. But I think Mm -hmm. one reason that you're more likely to get bad Mexican food in New England is partly because Mexican food is like brand. And people are like, I want Mexican food. People, for a variety of reasons, don't know Dominican like cuisine as well. Mm-hmm. And so what you'll end up with, I think, is a lot of places that are basically like uh, like people from the Dominican Republic being like, fuck it. I guess we'll do Mexican food. We can we can execute that. Mm-hmm. And they can, but it's not as good as the stuff they'd probably make. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of like, well, fuck it. Like, we just got to we just got to feed these people like. Their definition of good is Chipotle, so we'll make something Chipotle adjacent. And then there'll be a section on the menu where the real it's the section. food we actually want to make. Yeah. 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 It's sort of like I um the person who tutored me in math in high school was one of the, the one of the IT students at Wesleyan that worked for my dad. She was really nice. Ampika, if you're listening, you're lovely. You're definitely not listening. But if you are, <laughs> you were a great math tutor. <laughs> you made things make sense to me. Um Ampika is is Indian, but she spent for, like a long time living in Thailand and speaks Thai. And so, you know, when we would order food while we were doing, while I was doing like math problems, struggling without the, actually it was pre-calc, that was really hurting. It was very difficult for me. Um, she, we'd just grab the phone and speak rapidly in Thai. And then we'd end up with food that was the most delicious food I'd ever had in my life, but I could not identify. And it's just like, okay, well, these people 
they're making their own food, and I don't know what it is, but it tastes really good, and I'm really glad that Ampika has the ability to to actually to get this stuff. I mean, it happens too whenever uh, me and my mom goes to like a there's a very small restaurant that's like a hole in the wall dosa place where my mom lives. Like, there's a very small community of Indian Americans right next to a little Indian sort of goods store. And she can go there and she'll she'll ask like, oh, my family's from Hyderabad. Where are you guys from? And then they like the chef will tell they'll they'll share, you know, some experiences. And then the food will come back and it'll be like extra spicy and closer to how she remembers making it at home. And like the doses <laughs> will be very thin and lacy. And it's just like, well, yeah, you know, minorities get to have those kinds of minority experiences. And what is interesting, though, is like watching some of the restaurants in from my hometown that were once like mediocre Chinese places turn into above average Vietnamese places as ah. pho has become like hmm. a trendy food. You know, it, it's it does show you a lot about how in our society, whiteness and the culture of whiteness is centered so much that all minorities have to bend their experience of their own marginalization in order to meet the expectations of white people. It's I've turned this a very fun conversation about food essentially into an analysis of the text, can the subaltern speak? <laughs> they can't. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that, yeah, I mean, that, like, that is the nature of food in America. And I think it goes even to this point of like, sometimes the fetishization of authentic, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, hmm, where do, where do folks like you hang out where the white people don't bother you? <laughs> I must go there yeah. and discover this. Like the yeah. whole thing becomes very acquisitive. I mean, so this to is me, something that is video game related. So I'll wait until Kado brings his thing up and I'll change the topic. Uh, <laughs> All I was going to say is that like most of the time, I can tell if it's authentic or not just by who's who's cooking. Mm -hmm. And I've like I've like there was a uh rest in peace uh Taqueria de los Muertos, uh amazing Mexican place that was if anyone ever went there that like was a foodie or something they'd be like wow, this is so fake. And it's because they were using recipes and stuff that I recognize as like, oh, this is an immigrant who's like making replacements and mm -hmm. like they just kind of follow that through on through this restaurant and it still tastes really good, but it's not quote unquote authentic. But it's like, I know this is I, I can as being a first generation immigrant. Yeah, I can tell. No, this shit is authentic. This is, you know, an, an, an immigrant cooking these things and yep. it tastes good and it's real Mexican, even if it's not what people have deemed is quote unquote real Mexican, right? Yeah, reminded me a lot about um, Priya, who's now at New York Times Cooking, who used to be at Bon Appetit. She has this recipe on the Bon Appetit site, a uh, YouTube channel that was for like potato and pepper subsi. And she explained in the video, like subsi just means fried up shit. So these are just like, you <laughs> yeah. can use any vegetables for these. Like this is like a common meal that my Indian mom would make when we moved to America because these were vegetables she recognizes and spices she recognizes and she could combine them. It's not really a traditional meal, but it is something that I ate as an Indian American growing up. Right. So we got a food ritual one. Uh, this one comes from Tressa. Hey, we may be way past the discussion of food rituals. Tress, have you listened to the show? <laughs> this is this is how we live now. I would like to contribute my own. Go for it. I too am a circle sandwich eater because I generally like the soft middle bread more than the crust, but don't dislike the crust. 
enough to cut it off altogether. Okay. The new food ritual I have to contribute is that if I am eating a plain croissant, I always unravel it, by which I mean I take that little triangle in the middle and pull Mm. it back. I do the reverse of what the baker did to form it. I do this because then I get to enjoy the beautiful buttery core of the croissant at the end. Truly a little treat, a delicacy, if you will. Obviously, I don't do this with other pastries or pan chocolate because that would just be a mess. (laughs) Love the show. And all the weird intricacies of human eating habits were being revealed through the question bucket. Um, yeah. How do you not unravel? I'm sorry. If there is something that is rolled up, I must unravel it. <laughs> like, that's how I'm going to must eat it. Like, like, I look at, like, sometimes I see people, like, do a slice of, like, hala, And I'm like, absolutely. Like, no, I must. I want. How, yeah. how can you not just want to unwind the entire braid? Yeah, um, David never and I has eat challah by ripping parts off of it. Yep. We also eat it with chili, which gives you like you get more surface area for dipping when you do it that way. Any sort of coiled bun situation is, yeah, just totally gonna unspiral that shit. Cinnamon. Because that's the whatever. eventuality. Yeah. Of all spiraled foods. Like I don't know. It almost like feels wrong to bite. Just like pick it up and bite into it. Like I can't. No, that's not. It feels like biting <laughs> into the middle of a Kit Kat. You no, know? <laughs> sort of. Snapping it apart. <laughs> I'm not following for this reason. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not following the instructions the food are giving me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I used I think- to do kind of the opposite because I would ha- we would have croissants with breakfast a lot, mm. and it would be like eggs with croissant, and so I would basically take one of the like sides that kind of formed like a little cornucopia shape almost, uh, and then rip out the innards eat that first and then scoop eggs into it and like have like a little mini breakfast sandwich as a kid. My parents thought I was the weirdest fucking kid because everyone else just ate their things separately in my family. But I was like, no, I want little did I know. Like, you know, we weren't, we were in Florida at the time. Breakfast sandwiches aren't a fucking thing really. Uh, So I was just, you know, foretelling my future uh, (laughs) breakfast, (laughs) breakfast wants. Oh man. I do think the perfect breakfast, though, is like the, the French petit jeuge with just espresso, tiny little shot glass of orange juice, croissant, jam, and butter. You don't need mm. more than that, really. That gets you going until you get to lunch, which is the real meal. Well, Christina and I have been, there's a, there was a new French place that opened up, and we mm. just bought like a baguette, a couple of croissants, and a pain de mm-hmm. chocolat, and that was, that was breakfast. That sounds just so a bunch good. of fucking bread, <laughs> different <laughs> types of bread. It's delicious and good. they're all food groups, right? Yeah. You got the baguette at the bottom of the triangle, and then right. the pastries get smaller as smaller you go up. Smaller as you go up, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> got little macarons at the top, right? Exactly. <laughs> okay, so last question. This is kind of a long email, but I think it has lessons for all of us for life. Oh boy! <laughs> this one comes from uh, Fenrir. Uh, Fenrir writes, hey crew, y'all were just talking about the joyful period of reprieve from a job that gives you the space to breathe and experience another perspective. I've not had so much the luck to land myself in a situation that's in any measure sustaining me, never mind extending much support to my community. But the first time I really took in, I could just go, this isn't worth what I'm going through. And even if the next thing doesn't pay well enough or is enough hours, at least it'll be new and I can find something else. I took it in. I internalized it. I embodied it through the course of five jobs. I left gleefully, though after hanging on long enough to burn out each time. For the most part of my working years, I've been a baker. 
C, email, I forgot to label, question bucket, re, Rob, not describing gluten when bread making. Uh, I fell into it, loved it, loved making something that people enjoyed, uh, that fed them, that served a base purpose. But here's the thing, bakeries suck. Yeah, 4 a.m. shifts aren't great, especially if you have past issues with sleep deprivation, and it can be pretty physically exhausting. But regardless, all bakeries suck eventually, even the great ones. It's the cycle. Every bakery has systems that erode over time until you show up for a shift and barely know what you're doing because communication is so garbled or non-existent that you look in the proofer, try not to cry that there's only half the bread you're supposed to bake that day, and hope there's a reason for it no one told you about. Great bakeries catch the cycle, rebuild their systems, and truck along until the next round. Good bakeries kind of patch things up and spring holes sooner. Terrible bakeries just get worse. Out of all the places I quit, both joyously and at times detailing their failures that at least once appeared to make an owner reconsider his whole life philosophy, my personal favorite is the place that wanted us to do eight hours of work in six hours. Mm -hmm. My final shift, I had slept in and used my skateboard to get to a car share quick to get to work relatively on time after clocking eight hours because fuck them pay me and it's not like you can force bread to proof faster. That's not how bread works. I literally ollied out the back door. <laughs> Try to keep this short. What's your favorite? At least I got to X from leaving a job. What little victory in the final moments, hours, shifts of a job do you hold dear as the reminder? Actually, you could leave. There are better places. It's fun to leave. What's your ollie out? Granted, once you're a baker, it's pretty easy to pick up another job, provided you live someplace with more than one bakery. But I think the thing I loved about this <laughs> is that to an extent, that bakery description, that is every team oriented job I've ever mm. seen. Like everything is a fight against entropy. Mm-hmm. And that problem, it's it's so interesting to me because you think a bakery, they have no choice but to solve it. But apparently they don't. They still have that entropic cycle of like, oh, fuck. We don't have bread for today. Um, and that's kind of fascinating and reassuring to me. Because I'm like, that yeah. nah, probably just happens in bullshit white collar jobs the most. Yeah, like, every day when I wake up Monday morning and I'm like, what is a blog? <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. happens to everybody. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I find that whole part fascinating of just like even with the daily pressure of look the, like the bread's got to be made you still have this routine problem of bakeries cannot keep everyone on the same page uh despite having a staff of pros uh yeah. so if people have ideas about how to solve that I'm always this this stuff interests me so much cuz like I do I assume some places do figure this out like I assume if you're a Elite bakery or restaurant, surely it's at least a little figured out. Uh, well, looking at sort of <laughs> stories in the restaurant industry over the past year, it seems like the solution to this problem is to be a really abusive boss. <laughs> so. That is true. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of people have elided this issue of uh, constantly having to produce things by rewarding the worst possible personality types and then becoming the worst possible manager. <laughs> Terrible Speaking of Marco Pierre White's. My favorite way I've all added out of a job was posting a blog in which I told Jim Spanfeller to go fuck himself moments before I was my Slack access was revoked on my last day of Kotaku. <laughs> 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 that was pretty Pick good. Clipped out of there. Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. So <laughs> to that, what are people's? Uh, so all right, that's that's Gita. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's their favorite. Fuck this place. I'm out. Who else has had nice fuck this place, I'm out uh, type moments? 
I had the opposite where I was told, fuck you, get out. Um, oh, that sucks. Ooh. I feel like I've, I don't know if I've told this story on, on, on the podcast before, um, but I might have, but I'll repeat it here, at least for the purposes of this discussion. When I left uh, uh, EGM, um, the new EGM um, from like, I guess like a decade ago uh, now, uh, that's before I went to go work at Giant Bomb. And Giant Bomb wanted to hire me, but they were waiting for a big advertising deal to get finalized so that they actually had the money to pay my salary. So, you know, that would be important um, in the job uh, part of it. Uh, And that that took a while. Like, I was kind of told, like, yeah, we're really interested in bringing you on. Um, You know, it's taking a little while to figure that out. Um, And then it had sort of been figured out, and I was kind of just like, like, basically just like working at EGM, cashing a paycheck, but not doing a whole lot while I waited for this situation to get taken care of. And then it did get taken care of. Um, and I was uh, like a month out from starting at Giant Bomb when they were still Whiskey Media. And so I sent an email to uh, the terrible boss, uh, the owner, uh, uh, whatever, fuck Steve Harris, um, <laughs> at EGM. Mm-hmm. was just like, hey, like, so I've accepted another offer out here in San Francisco. Like, uh, you know, I'm putting in my my two weeks, um, you know, just letting you know. And his response, I, you know, to paraphrase, not even to paraphrase, it was like a sentence long. It was just like, nah, that's good. See ya. Um, and just that was it. The email was me. Like, I immediately, like, lost email access, like, no longer being paid. And I like, wrote Giant Bomb an email. I was like, like any chance I could start two weeks early because I don't have a job anymore. And they're like, no, like we're like, we literally <laughs> don't have them. We don't have the money to pay you. Wow. To, like we cannot pay you until like that specific date. I was like, all right, well, I guess I don't have a job. So that's cool. Uh, it was like, tried to do the two week notice thing and like realized like maybe that is just something people should Stop doing. I understand why it occurs. I'll probably keep doing it. Mm-hmm. But like that was a harsh lesson in actually they don't owe you fucking anything. Yeah. And they could just tell you, wow, great. That's your notice. Goodbye. Um, and that's Can they? So at I, that will employment. Illegal. At will employment. Yeah. <laughs> I think when, you, when you've made your intention to, to leave, you've made your intention to leave. I, I don't know the legalities of that. Like, but I wasn't like in a position to be like, well, I'm going to go get a lawyer and like figure <laughs> out the next, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like. Employers just, just sort of like, all right. Yeah. They bet on that. They bet on you just not having the ability to have a lawyer and like contest it. And you just be like, well, okay. <laughs> Can't and I do had anything. the job lined yeah. up. So it was just like, you know, even though yeah. money was like extremely tight between uh, my wife and I was like, well, I guess, we'll, you know, we'll just. Also, like, yeah, when you start work. a new job, you start a new pay period. So you're like, I'm not going to see anything from this work for like a month. That rocks. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then yeah. insurance gets weird. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so. yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. I got ollied into the, in my own jaw. <laughs> <laughs> And that's just like I haven't had this. I've yeah, I've like my all my like you know most of my job transitions have been pretty smooth. And then the one time where I was could have done a fuck you instead, the the fuck you went to me. Um, <laughs> I don't know if Kato, uh, Kato, you got one. Kind of. I worked for a while while I was in Baltimore at a uh, sign shop, which was all right for the most part until. After being there for a couple years, um, I opened my big mouth about how I can do certain things because we were having trouble uh, getting like a new website up and running. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I've dabbled. 
uh-uh. a mistake. And like then as a fool, like I couldn't back out of it at that point. But then it was it became a like, well, now you have to do both these. But you still have to do your sign job. You still have to do your graphic design job. But also, hey, you're our tech support now. Uh, we're going to be, you know, messaging you off hours and shit. And I was like, this is not what I signed up for. Um, but the the issue that they hadn't considered was uh, me ever leaving and having all the passwords to the back end of that CMS and um, just kind of piecing out when I pieced out and not leaving notes. <laughs> um, they was just like, yeah, you know, thanks, bye. Uh, yeah. good luck with that website. You'll have to pay someone to actually, you know, make you a, a, a it wasn't very good either. I wasn't that good. I just knew yeah. the technical aspects to make a website appear on the internet. Um, uh, but I definitely, uh, left that without any like information on how any of that runs. And they were just like, how I, I, I sometimes check in on the website. It's like, oh wow, that's still how exactly how I left it. So <laughs> they're, they're still for some reason, paying for the domain, but no information has changed on that website in great uh, six years now. Very useful <laughs> for them. I'm sure. Yeah. Jobs really do take advantage of people who are nice. <laughs> I, like- and people, and this is, the, this is <laughs> the thing. People want to do good jobs. Yes. Like most people want to express some ideal of like excellence or like care for anything they do like this is also true of a lot of people in service jobs like sometimes if you're in a place you like you want to provide good customer service like for all the jokes that like eventually a bunch of us in those roles like burn out and get just fucking furious there's also a lot of that also comes from a place where you start to realize you'll never be rewarded for being good at any of this like if you make someone's day no one's gonna take care of you for that no one's gonna notice you'll get and nobody will have your back when some shithead like tries to ruin your day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like that, that whole notion of like, um, I've been, I've been living all these stories this last week of all these employers just like wailing and rending garments over like, where are the workers? We can't get anyone. There's a worker shortage. And yeah. it's like, no, you're just not where the supply curve is. That one article, <laughs> I think the Hill about one of those restaurants that couldn't find any workers to work were seven fifteen an hour, and they raised their their pay to fifteen dollars, and they got hundreds of workers, yeah, more Look, than they could, more applications behold, than they could sort through a market. Like, yeah, people, and that's but these yeah. fuckers are so used to like having uh, work requirements for any sort of welfare mm-hmm. that it's like. Oh, well, we're used to having supply of workers who are forced to come, like, be our wage slaves mm-hmm. so that they can get their fucking benefits um, fucking small from the business government. Tyrants. Yeah, it's it's I mean, it's so much so noticeable in service jobs. Uh, like, just I remember one of the first times I cried behind the counter as a cashier at the restaurant in the basement of the Art Institute of Chicago was when a woman wearing a Chanel skirt accused me of deliberately sabotaging her day for no reason. <laughs> like, I had complimented her skirt, and she was like, yeah, it's Chanel. Like, I wouldn't know what Chanel was because I was a cashier. <laughs> like, we were, you know, like, the Art Institute of Chicago is about two miles away from the Mag Mile where there is a yeah. Chanel store. So I don't know why you would make that assumption. But the, she, I told her that she could not take the food that she had bought in the cafe out to the restaurant outside 
And she was like, you're trying to ruin my day on purpose. And I was like, I have no idea why you were like this. That was not worth getting paid the meager amount of money that I was paid for for that day. And then I would try, because I'm a nice person, to help people out and go the extra mile for them, hoping that it would, like, go towards my job performance. But only the only thing that happens when you go the extra mile is that people give you more duties with yes. absolutely no pay uh, raises. Yep. That is something that definitely happens in office environments also. Like, you learn very quickly in any kind of office environment. You just don't tell people what skills you have. Because <laughs> if you have skills that someone might need, you're just going to end up doing that work with absolutely no actual, like, no pay or, like, no... Like no change in job title or anything like that. This um, is my relationship with Rob. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah! Wow. You better give Patrick a raise. Hashtag give Patrick a raise. No, please. I just don't want to tell Rob. My, I just don't tell Rob my skills. I'm, uh, just like, okay. I'm, just, I'm hiding all the things I'm good at from him. Oh yeah. I have, yeah. This is why I'm increasingly like doing things on my own. Where I'm like, all right, I guess it's time to learn what this part of Adobe does. Uh, Sometime soon, you're just going to log on to work and you're going to be like, where's Patrick? And we're going to be like, well, he went back to his home planet and you're going to be, <laughs> you're I, not going to know what it means. The, I do, there, uh, I do, uh, it, this did trigger one story I remembered from, uh, it, it didn't, not, didn't happen to me, but when I was, uh, the first jobs I was getting when I was younger, me and my like group of friends who were very close, we'd all just go work at the same place. It's like, all right, we're all going to work at the Jewel. And so we'd all just apply there and take various positions, like various cashiers, various stock people, various like like we would just take over the place. So whenever you went, it was like you were hanging out with your friends. And so we did it at this one grocery store and we also did it at uh, the AMC, the movie theater. Um, and I was working concessions and my friend was a, an usher. Um, we were all spread in, in, in different locations, but he was done working for the summer. Didn't didn't want to do the last like couple weeks of the job and. My family had rented a place in Wisconsin for like three weeks and he was going to come up for one of those weeks. And so rather than telling the job that he was quitting, he just like went up to the vacation, the vacation board, like the days he wanted to request off and just wrote in big letters, gone fishing. And then like wrote his name at the bottom of it and just left and just was done for the day. And then like at some point while we were on, while he was up visiting my family, he got a call from his parents. They were like, so the AMC called, like you didn't show up for your shift. And he was like, I, no, I quit. I wrote gone fishing. And then they had to, his parents called them and they had to inform them that the gone fishing was, uh, was notice. He, he guess he's not working there anymore. <laughs> so, so that was that. a very good power move. Yes, absolutely. I am. Um, <laughs> first job I had, like a lot of folks was at McDonald's. Um, and I left that job, uh, because like, <laughs> Like with a lot of these places, it was the little kingdom of the assistant manager to set schedules. Mm-hmm. And a friend was like, hey, want to go on vacation with me this summer? Uh, we're going to take like a week. We're going to go to, uh, I think that year we were heading to um, the Air Force Museum in Dayton. Uh, real cool place. Um, if you're Rob Zachney, I suppose. Um, <laughs> going to Dayton. I, hey, I wasn't going to say anything, but like the whole, when you said that, I but almost snorted. <laughs> point is, like I had done, I was like, there's a little like chart where you like sort of black out dates yeah. where yep. you don't, and I was like, I blacked them out. And it had been made clear, like, on intake that like, well, they're not obliged to honor that. But like, I had been pretty clear and so, um, yeah, like I am literally on my way 
on this vacation, like the first day, and I get the call from the assistant manager, like, hey, where are you? You were scheduled today. And I was like, well, I shouldn't have been because uh, <laughs> I've had this. Vac- I use the marker. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, yeah, well, you didn't you didn't confirm that with me. Um, so, like, what am I supposed to do here? And I was like, I suppose you should you have to find some I, like i'm in i'm in ohio man like you're in you're in hammond like this isn't gonna i can't just come in um i'm 90 minutes away and i'm not coming back and so he was like all right we'll just make sure you return your shirt when you when you come back um and i was like no nah. <laughs> i was like sure i will but like no i i mean you're getting your mcdonald's shirt back i'm never seeing you again mail me that check yeah um but I think the most – so I had a bittersweet experience like right before I came to Waypoint. I had basically uh, given up on freelancing to an extent. Like I got a real good offer from uh, Red Bull to go do some stuff there. And it was from day one a disaster. It was like <laughs> clearly a – they had just expanded a lot. They'd hired a lot of middle management. I was like on the lower end of like a three tier middle management structure that was powerless. Like literally I was the lowest man on uh, the ladder for a section of management strata that had no capacity to do anything. So like literally like within a week I was like, I don't understand what we're supposed to be doing because everything is bureaucratic as hell. Um, There's a lot of confusion about who even has the power to authorize what. Um, And there were a lot of meetings where it was like, no, 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 Rob, like you don't understand your job. You need to have like the 10,000 foot view of things. I was like, okay, sure. Now your boss, he's going to have like the 30,000 foot view. Uh Uh-huh. And you know, then his boss, like he's like got like almost a satellite view. I'm like, I don't know what that means for the day. <laughs> like for the day to day, like what is the material difference between ten thousand feet, thirty thousand feet, and like geosynchronous orbital view <laughs> of our work? Like, so do you want me to post this blog or not? It was that kind of thing. It was just, it was it was not going well, mm-hmm. um, and. So there were all these issues at Red Bull. It was it was ultimately like a fine place. There were a lot of good people there. Um, I liked a lot of people I worked with. But it was just like one of those things where uh, the business plan for what we were all being hired for hadn't really been fully fleshed out. And it never would be, right? They staffed up really before they had a clear roadmap. And so you ended up with a lot of these platitudes. But the bittersweet thing was um, for months I had wanted – to like burn that motherfucker down on the way out the door. Right. I had wanted to be like, like do the complete, like, you know, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you type thing. But then right before, um, I didn't know it was ending cause there was a reorg and I was put under this manager who I can only describe as surfer, Matthew McConaughey. Um, probably knew that dead dude is a surfer. So that might not be saying anything, but like, uh-huh. uh, like had strong, um, like Gulf Coast or like San Diego uh, surfer type vibes. But he ran this department. It was the weirdest thing. And I wish I could have stayed longer to study it. He was the boss that like that place ran like a Swiss timepiece. And I never saw him do anything. 
like I still think about like so talking about like Fenrir's uh you know email about like how everything falls into entropy. This this team didn't, and it was a really complicated creative team with a lot of people doing independent work, and this dude did not seem to do anything. Um, he just showed up. He checked in with people. If people had questions about what they should be doing, they just sort of walked over to his desk. He would sort of sit back and be like. And he was just, it was so, it was so simple. Sometimes you'd offer real advice. Sometimes it'd be like, well, what's your feeling? And then he would just <laughs> sort of like let them talk it out and they'd walk away and they'd go crush it. And it was like the entire team. I've never seen so many people with high job satisfaction in one place. Um, and people were like ready to like lay down their lives for this guy. I would have uh, by the end, but I wish I could have stayed long enough to see how he did it because the, I think the thing that really sticks with me is that I think we've all worked in places where it's like we want to have good work-life balance. We want you to stay like passionately engaged and like feeling creative about the work you're here to do. But like a lot of places don't really have the commitment to actually do that and open up that space and cultivate that relationship. This dude actually did where he was like he would give people time off to like, hey, you need to go reconnect with uh, – you know, whatever extreme sport you're into, go for it, man. Like, you, yeah, you need to take a couple days to uh, go check out what's happening in a para, you know, paragliding. Yeah, rock on. <laughs> and the result was this team that um, was like one of the most highly regarded at the company. And it just, there was never a moment there that felt like it was a, you were really at a job. Um, and that's the part that like, and of course, like at that point, shortly after I got the offer to come to Waypoint and that was great, but I do sometimes wonder, like, I feel like I had so much to learn from that dude. It was like, <laughs> I'd gone through all this shit at Red Bull and then just at the end, I arrived at like, oh, there's like a really like crack team here. And I got a taste of it and I was like, wow, this runs really differently from any newsroom I've been a part of, any like creative team I've been a part of. And it runs by dynamics that I don't fully understand. And I haven't seen anything like it since. Like it was a really singular thing. And uh, that was, that was the thing. It was like, I went from being utterly depressed working at that place to like genuinely kind of sad when, when I left it behind to go to waypoint. Um, Cause like I knew waypoint was a better fit for me, but even though my passion wasn't at Red Bull, it was kind of a job where I was like, that was a great office. You don't have a passion for energy drinks and their marketing? That's not where your passion lies, Rob Zachney? <laughs> they, really wanted, they really wanted you to have that passion. Oh, um, I see. They desperately, like, I, and I think to an extent, they were, they were very frank. I think it was, it, it was a decent insight. They were like, um, everything... Like their their feeling was being passionate about the stuff, the spaces they were in would sell the fucking energy drink. And I think right. by and large, they were right. It was total like, you know, lifestyle marketing type shit. But I think it was a decent insight where it was like, it, it was not really approached as how do we sell this fucking can? It was much more like, how do you authentically like, Show your love for space mm-hmm. via Red Bull. It's very How weird. Do you make I never Red had the Bull knack. the brand unobtrusive inside these niche communities. How do you make Red Bull the brand feel like a natural fit amongst these people? And like I'll admit, you know, there is a time when I was an energy drink drinker and in college. And 
you know, I'd listen to those Red Bull music mixtapes that they put out that were so good. And so when I saw Red Bull in our little student union shop, I'd be like, all right, okay, I don't care. <laughs> like This brand no longer seems offensive to me. And uh, it works. Marketing works. Yeah. yeah. But going we're from- susceptible. Yeah. <laughs> going from dysfunction to like a functional place is like taking MDMA, I do feel like. Yeah. It, it really is. <laughs> Yeah, but also it's the, like, how does, like, the places that really do seem to run well without, like, the cycle of dysfunction building up. Um, and maybe I just wasn't there long enough to see it. But, right. uh, yeah, that's the part where I'm I'm always kind of struck. Uh, I swung the, the around eventually. That, who knows? Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, <laughs> eventually, like, th- that guy did eventually. He was like, look, I don't know what the future of this place looks like. So right. he was like, I, he's like, I can't promise like that the job will stay awesome in two years. Like, I don't know. Um, and I was like, that's good advice too. Where he was <laughs> like, yeah, I've got, I've cultivated a great team. It's a, it's a cool little uh, space we've carved out. I don't know that they'll let me keep it. Um, so you should bear that in mind as you're thinking about this new offer you've got. And I was like, that's that, that pretty much clenches it. Uh, but yeah, it was that was kind of the the opposite of my like wine uh, ollie out the door. Um, I had spent months like really thinking about I could just leave, just leave LA in the middle of the night, just pack up my car and just like leave <laughs> and never come back. And uh, by the end, I was in a really different place with the whole thing. Um, so yeah, shout outs to like those very rare like good managers of good teams. Um, the the uh, almost called them Fozzywig because. I've watched them up at Christmas Carol way too much, but the Fezzy wig, uh, the Fezzy wigs of the world. That's nice. All right. Well, I think that will do it for today's show. You can send questions to gaming advice with the subject question. Uh, you can keep up with the site as it updates by heading to waypoint.vice.com. Uh, or you can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at waypoint, uh, Facebook and YouTube waypoint vice. I am Rob Zachney. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Uh, Gita, where can people find you? You can find me at XOXO Gossip Gita. Don't at me, but just saying right now, don't do it. <laughs> Patrick. Uh, you can find me at Patrick Kulbeck. Also, we're on uh, next week, next Monday, we're not going to have a normal uh, podcast. We're going to be doing a near spoiler cast as I've had my spirit slowly crushed doing the other oh, routes good. of. I do want to hear about near. what your dick smashing appointments have been like. <laughs> so. Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Austin Walker saying these side quests and the design of this game is just a commentary and it's no it's a lower budget game and it's fucking repetitive as hell but it's got a great story and it's very touching mm. um, <laughs> anyway we're doing a spoiler cast on Monday spoiler cast uh, is gonna be fun huh? it's gonna be really uh, fun. no I, I adore the game it's, yeah. you just gotta get yeah, yeah. past it um, we uh, gotta talk about the difference between authorial intent and like what the player experiences it's an interesting rough draft for uh, your automata in terms of the form. But yeah, we're going to get into stuff like that uh, in the spoiler cast. So uh, if you want to write into gamingadvice.com with like the subject near, it'll be a full spoiler cast. So feel free to drop in whatever you want to ask us about the game. And um, Dia is going to be on that one, right? That, yeah, as far as I, as far as I know. I can't wait to hear Dia just like your reductive. Eh, it's just low budget. I can't wait to just hear that reductive take. Just like <laughs> absolutely. No, uh, yeah. Just really need to like spend two hours getting a machine oil to just understand the cycle of life is that's, you know, anyway, right into gamingadvice.com. <laughs> well, at least you're going into it. Wow. The right attitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, to hear us talk about uh, near next week. Patrick does not have English major energy. That is. 
That, that you is have been working as a journalist since you were 13 years old energy, which is just different from English major energy. You know, like that's <laughs> that's just a different kind of person who uses words all the time. And it's fine. Kato, where can people find you? At a underscore Kato underscore appears. All right. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. That'll do it for this week. We'll be back. Well, we'll be back with that spoiler cast, and then next Friday, we'll be back with another episode of Waypoint Radio. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Did you get that robe from Orson Welles' estate sale? What is it? <laughs> ah, uh, well, MK. Wow. MK custom ordered this uh, for Christmas. Amazing. It looks opulent. It is. Yeah, look, also opulent, could be like well, like a guy who showed up to the Mortal Kombat tournament and like, nah, like that doesn't fit. Like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Like a it's Raiden reject. Or- it is extremely Orson Welles' estate stale, though. <laughs> I don't know how Orson Welles went from like a person I only heard of talked about in revered tones to a person I usually use as a comedic like touchstone amongst my friends. Wine, like, wine will do that too. He a had that arc, <laughs> yep. And yeah, also, fair. he himself is very funny. That's the thing. Like, it's yeah. not like he didn't know what he was turning into in his late career. Fair. Um. All right, so let's go timed out is. Uh. All right, let's go at uh, five seconds. <sighs> Patrick making me nervous, not looking like he's ready. And then <laughs> no, just, like, I was bam. too much time. I was like, I'll go for a jog. <laughs> wow. Maybe I'll take a nap. Be a little. Oh, my God. Uh, no, kind of, kind of. You can just. I'm gonna just, bleep that uh, one. You I'll bleep just, that one. Bleep it. Yeah, <laughs> cut out everything else and just put that in. Let I think it'll imagine. be funny. Yeah, it'll be okay. People just like imagine what that means. Yep. Ooh. <laughs> Mystery. <laughs> All right, here we go.